taking off in five, four, three, two. Yo, 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 it's your boy T.O. as you know. It's your boy O-Rain, real name, no games, no gimmicks. Yo, it's the motherfucking Fade Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything TV, media, and film related, along with any other goddamn thing we want to talk about coming to you live, direct, uh, parts unknown, uh, but getting closer to reopening, so we're almost back in the building, uh, as they, they, they might almost. say. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's going on? What's happening? All is well, man. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, everywhere around the country is like slowly, but sh- surely starting to reopen. Mm-hmm. I'm still on the wave of like, I'm going to be like a week three wave of people going back out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is nice to see like things kind of back in motion. Um, yeah. I mean, good vibes. A good weekend so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been it's been good to see, uh, you know, things kind of somewhat kind of uh, tapering off as far as like the heat, because it felt like, and I don't just mean the weather, I just mean like the temperature as far as uh, uh, everything that's going on. Um, and, and not in a bad way either, where it feels like everything is just like going back to like business as usual, but it feels like, okay, like writing is, is, is subsiding a little bit. Uh, so people can stop fucking using that as an excuse to just ex- ignore the fuck out of everything else, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know. Um, and and I know you weren't were out at a at a, at a, a protest yourself. Uh, how, how'd that go? Yeah, so I was at the protest in Baltimore. Started down by like the Baltimore Convention Center, mm-hmm. um, then worked our way back over towards like the uh, I believe it's the Baltimore City Courthouse. Uh, it was good, man. It was like it was entirely peaceful. There was not like one. It was not. From, from what I saw, there was not one person who was there to like, you know, cause any trouble, right? There was no rioting. There was no looting. Um, there were no like distractors out there. We didn't run into any people who were like, you know, those all lives matter people or the people who are just out there to be against the movement. Yeah. Uh, so it was good. It was, it was real good. It was peaceful. Um, I'm not sick. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, all is well. One for the home team. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, with that being said, um, you know, if you're, if you're out there, you know, doesn't protest, obviously, you know, coronavirus is still a thing. So, you know, protect yourself. Still very real. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Uh, so protect yourself, uh, make sure that you're, you're good to go. You're safe. You're doing all the, all the, the usual protocols, you know, to, to, to keep that, uh, to keep that consistent and, uh, yeah, keep pushing. Um, with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump off the show here. We're going to, uh, jump right into, uh, and if of course I had my shit ready, we'd be, there we go. All right. Uh, so we're going to jump right into, uh, movies that are coming out streaming. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, what's coming out on HBO slash HBO max, which we're going to talk about some fuck, fuck shit with them later on, uh, that AT&T, uh, and I, for whatever reason, I didn't, it didn't really immediately like register that AT&T owned, uh, I guess they own Warner brothers. Was there a merger between Time Warner and then 18? I don't know. There's a lot of fucking mergers. Yeah, and I, shit I think that happened like 2018 or something. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, there are a lot of fucking mergers. I, I get lost as far as who owns what nowadays. But, uh, but anyways, we're going to talk about a story about that a little later. Uh, what's coming out this particular week on HBO uh, slash, again, HBO Max is uh, I May Destroy You, uh, which is a series that's premiering. Um, so this is, uh, this is we, we talked about the, I think we talked about the trailer for this a while ago. Um, but essentially, uh, it's about a woman who she can't remember what happened to her. Like, I think it's like the night before or something like that. Um, and, uh, and so it kind of follows her journey and it talks about like consent, those type of things, uh, looked really interesting. Uh, it, it has, uh, Michaela Coel, uh, um, who I'm trying to remember what I know her from. And I think she, it was like a show on Netflix that I think, uh, she, she did that, uh, I'm trying to look at her uh, chewing gum. Yeah, I yeah. remember talking about this. Yeah, uh, this particular this particular particular show, but uh, she I remember her from chewing gum from uh, from from Netflix, uh, I believe. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I so I definitely could you know would uh, propose that everybody check that out. I'm definitely going to go check it out to see uh, to see what it's all about. Um, but uh, but yeah. Let's uh, let's move it on to Hulu. Uh, so on Hulu, we have this week uh, Crossing Swords season one, which is a Hulu original. Uh, Into the Dark, uh, Good Boy, uh, another Hulu original. But then they have some throwbacks that I thought were were pretty fucking dope. Uh, Seven Pounds, which is a highly underrated movie. This is a this is a movie that's kind of slept on a little bit um, as far as being one of Will Smith's uh, best movies, uh, and it, of course starred him and uh, Rosario Dawson, uh, I believe. Um, yep. Uh, I believe Michael Ely Green was in that movie. Yeah. Uh, a few other <coughs> familiar faces. But, you know, it's it's hard to say like a Will Smith movie is slept on. Uh, there have been some bad ones. You know, there was Bagger Vance. There was like After Earth. Um, Seven Pounds is definitely one of his best pieces of work. Yeah. Um, a really good throwback. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And uh, a neat, funny story about uh, uh, about um, Seven Pounds. Uh, so when it first came out, I remember there was like a big mystery as far as uh, as far as what uh, what Seven Pounds actually meant. As far as the the and before I'd actually seen the movie, I remember I was talking to a coworker and, and shout out Joe if you <laughs> happen to be watching for some reason. Uh, but I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, I wonder what Seven Pounds means. And he's like, well, isn't that how much, uh, you know, duh, like, isn't it how much a human heart weighs? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was like, thought about it later, like, fucking human heart doesn't weigh seven pounds. Could you imagine if your fucking heart weighs seven pounds? <laughs> That's more than a newborn uh, baby. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I would say the heart weighs seven pounds. No, it's pretty dense. It does not weigh seven pounds. I will look this up right uh, now. Because I, th- I think I remember seeing the stats somewhere. Yeah, I think sorry, this water went down the wrong pipe. I keep coughing. Yeah, you all right? <laughs> Throat's all locked yeah. up. Um, let's see. How much does a human heart weigh? I'm pretty sure the average right, for an average adult weighs seven pounds. Uh, Not for like fucking a middle linebacker. You know, heart might be a little bit more than that, but I think seven pounds. Your, your heart can weigh seven, uh, seven and 15 ounces, or I guess this meant to say between seven and 15 ounces, a man's heart on average, uh, around 10 ounces. And I have to assume that 10 ounces does not equate to seven pounds. I would have to assume that, uh, how much is, and I, I failed all my science courses. Are you sure you're reading the shit? I, I think I am. I don't know. 
Yikes. This water's trying to kill me. Yeah, ain't it? Yeah, you look like you're struggling over there. Is, is that water? I am. Is it? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, how much is 10? Why is it wise? Why is that such a terrible feeling? Like when the water goes down the wrong pipe in your throat? Yo, you're dying for like 20 minutes at least. Yeah. Yeah, that's not even one pound. 10 ounces. Yeah, it's definitely weighs more than 10 ounces. We'd be foolish to think what? Oh, human heart. These are coming from Google. I have no idea what actual sources the, uh, these are, but I am believing them. Uh, the normal heart. That's a Trump fact. <laughs> All right. Anyways, why can't you just search how many pounds does the human heart weigh? I did. Uh, wait, how many? We'll find the answer in pounds. All right. <laughs> how many? Talking about like kilograms pounds. and ounces. <laughs> American the, the measurements. Heart weight. Uh, the normal heart is about the size of a clenched fist and weighs about three hundred to three hundred and fifty grams, less than one pound. Boom. I no. stand correct. It feels good to be right. Uh, what can I say? Um, I'm almost certain you're wrong. Right. I'm going to look it up too. Yeah, coming from let's, the, let's carry on. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, oh, uh, just other throwbacks. Uh, poetic justice. Uh, truth be told, I'm not, I'm going to, and this might get my black card revoked, uh, according to Joe Biden, but, um, uh, I have not actually watched Poetic Justice through and through. I've only seen like parts of the movie. I've I've watched like maybe like half the movie and then I got distracted with something else or whatever. Or maybe I watched it through and through when I was a kid. But as an adult, I haven't watched it like all the way through. Uh, and uh, of course, it's the film starring uh, Tupac as well as um, uh, Janet Jackson. Uh uh, so I think I might try to check that out just so I, you know, don't get my card revoked. Uh, but then also, uh, throwback on Hulu is uh, "Fools Rush In," which is uh, probably my favorite romantic comedy of all time, uh, with uh, Matthew Perry and uh, Selma Hayek. Uh, ah, yeah, yes, I yes, adore yes. that movie. Uh, you know, and I don't care who knows it, I'll fight you. Um, okay, and then in not- that was Salma Hayek in her like no, she's no, 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 still no. in yeah, her yeah. prime. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were about but, to I thought you were about to say the the sinful words that oh when she was in her prime no she no, is no, no. Salma Hayek has been in her, her prime. prime for the better part of two decades <laughs> uh, yeah, for the better part of her entire life she's uh, she's in her prime um, so uh, in Amazon Prime we have as a throwback uh, Knives Out which I'll definitely be checking out because I didn't get to check it out in theaters when it uh, when it came out so I'll definitely watch that. Um, yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need your login. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to charge you at least two or three dollars, you know, uh, per login. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, these are rentals, right? No, no, no. This or, is or, this is just no? this is just on Amazon Prime, I believe. Um, fuck that i'm gonna need that login <laughs> uh for free <laughs> on uh on netflix uh we have uh patriot act with hassan minaj volume six uh we have uh kiron uh we have uh, lennox hill uh, a documentary then we have reality z and then we have of course spike lee's new joint uh the five bloods which i can almost guarantee you we would definitely be doing a press play for uh yeah. and uh and then we have dating around season two uh f is for family uh which i actually think is a really good uh animated uh comedy i think bill burr uh is uh does it um along with uh damn what's his name what's his name i can see his face but i can't remember his name uh it's um Not justin no justin uh what's that dude's name justin he was in uh 
fuck. Anyways, his name's Justin Black something. Guy, white guy. White guy, Justin something. I don't know. Yeah, anyways. Uh, but it's it's a good show. Yeah. Uh, F is for Frank. Uh, then we have Joy, uh, Joe Coy uh, in His Elements, which uh, is a comedy special, of course. Uh, I haven't checked out any of Joe, Joe Coy stuff, but I always hear um, I always hear things about him. Uh, so I think I might check out. Joe Coy, he like, he hits and then he misses. Mm, mm. So and, uh, a, little, a little spotty. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes he's like really funny, and then sometimes I'll watch one of his stand-up specials, and it's like it'll just be like an hour of like, ah, this is okay. Mm. Yeah, I hate those that like it's like you're like you want to like it, but it's also just like I mean this is a little bit whack. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely one of those. Yeah, uh, and then we have Kippo and the Age of uh, Wonder Beast season two. Uh, then we have Pokemon Journeys the series. Uh, then we have the Search. Then we have the woods uh alexa and kate part four uh and then uh in our other streaming platforms that we're just now sort of talking about uh uh, in disney plus we have artemis fowl which is actually kind of a little bit of a big deal because uh artemis fowl was supposed to be coming out in theaters and i think it's supposed to be the start of one of these kind of like book you know movie franchises you know that it was previously a book but now it's uh you know it's a, it's a movie and so you know i think that there's probably like 18 other books uh, about this particular thing and uh but uh but it's going straight to on demand uh for for yeah. amazon uh for and disney i don't Plus. think i've heard of this one so i'm gonna have to check that out yeah it, you know what the 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 trailers for it came out right around the time that uh you know the world was basically set ablaze with this whole coronavirus thing so uh so it's no surprise that you, you might not have heard about it uh because i think it kind of got downplayed because of everything else that was going on um yeah but uh yeah i don't know it, it didn't look terribly great to me uh who's in it uh there's I want to say somebody is in it that I that I know uh, play. Oh, uh, Colin Farrell, I believe, plays like the father uh, in it uh, who gets like kidnapped or some shit. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, don't really care. But it's coming out on Disney Plus. I probably won't be watching that, to be perfectly honest. It's not necessarily my jam. But anyways, uh, that's essentially all that's coming out on our streaming platforms this particular week. Uh, so let us know in the, uh, the comments below what you think about uh, the things that are coming out. Are you going to check it out? Are you going to watch Defive Bloods uh, from? Spike Lee? Are you going to check out uh, some of the throwbacks that I mentioned? Talk to us. Let us know in the uh, comment section below. Uh, with that, hey, also, yeah. I got to throw this out there. One mm-hmm. of my favorite shows just came back for season four on Netflix, uh, Queen of the South. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Um, yeah. Season four, I think premiered just, la- just last night. Mm-hmm. I knocked out three episodes last night. Um, and I've been watching some like not so gr- well no i'm not gonna say that so like for a while i, I was watching outlander mm-hmm. um so i finished season one of outlander that was some shit um uh, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. there were like three more seasons and i was just like no i can't take this anymore. <laughs> um and then i watched she's gotta have it on netflix finished all three seasons of those that was a pretty good show yeah um uh, i think i started another show but i just couldn't do it ne- i'm i'm kind of watching uh, how to get away with murder right now mm. but i'm going to take a break on that because queen of the south is back and there's nothing more important than that show yeah um what about you have you finished anything lately um you know what no uh but honestly i've been so busy doing things that it's been really really hard to like find a show to start 
uh, and to continue because it's like everything that I do, I kind of have to like I, I can have something on in the background, but I can't like pay attention. So I usually like having something on that I've like previously watched, so like I can still use it to distract me, but also yeah. that I don't actually have to pay attention to, you know. Um, and so it's it's hard for me this specific moment in time to find a new show to get into. Uh, but uh, but uh, you know, I think this is. A, this is a good moment to like try to catch up with shit because you know, there's not much new shit. So it's just like, all right, well you can catch up with whatever shows that, you know, you've been meaning to get to and you haven't gotten to. And so, so I, hopefully within the next couple, uh, within a month or two, uh, you know, I'll be able to start some get shit. Back that, to uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but, uh, with all that being said, let's move on to our, uh, first, uh, story here. Uh, so our first, uh, st- uh, story here, we have a, uh, a trailer that uh, that just came out uh, for for the movie uh, 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 Atypical Wednesday, which it's kind of spelled a little differently than than I think uh, you would think as you're hearing this. But it's uh, it's atypical, as in the word atypical uh, Wednesday, which is uh, it's a little clever, a little clever. Okay, it's a little clever. Um, but let me give you guys the quick synopsis here. Uh, so. Uh, this is about a young man who embarks on an adventure uh, with another patient uh, at his uh, therapist's office, uh, who he visits every Wednesday. Uh, this is directed by Jay Lee, uh, and is also written by Lee, and also stars Lee, uh, as well as uh, Seth Green, uh, Emmy Raver uh, Lampman, and uh, Cooper J. Friedman, uh, and is due out, I think, think this is due out june 26th but uh but i couldn't uh, necessarily find uh find sources to actually confirm that but i do believe that that's the that's the date in which this uh this comes out uh so yeah you you checked out the trailer what'd you think i thought this looked funny i mean we, we've seen movies like this before right where it's like you know older man befriends a young kid and they go on this like journey um, and then along the way, a lot of things happen. Mm. Uh, this one is a little bit interesting in that, like, now it's kind of like a role reversal, right? Usually you have some, like, older white guy rescuing some, like, young, you know, black or his, um, Hispanic kid. Uh, you know, like the Sean William Scott movie, Big Daddy. Like, you know, uh, what was the Sean William Scott movie where he was like... Yeah, I think uh, it's called Role Models. You white, you Ben Affleck, Role Models. Yeah, yeah. I think he did that with, uh, what's his name? Paul, um, the dude who doesn't age. Damn, what's his name? Uh, I don't know his name, but like Damn. he's like the he looks like a kid, but he's like a grown man. Yeah, actor. he played Ant Man. Uh, who's Ant Man? Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Yeah, yeah. I think that was. Yeah, yeah, oh no, yeah. I, th- I thought you were talking about like the young kid in the show. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, the I think role models also had Paul Rudd in it. Uh, unless okay, I'm gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like again, we've seen this style of sh- um, this movie before. This one just looks particularly interesting. Different perspective. Um, it seems like a lot of like quick, witty, funny, situational humor. Um, I liked it. This is, uh, I'm not sure. When, where is this going to be on? I'm guessing this is going to go, um, uh, what streaming service? Yeah, I think or it's just going to be VOD. Yeah, I think this is just uh, VOD all around. Uh, again, I, I was, it wasn't, and I even went to, uh, so there's a production company, um, Gravitas Ventures, I believe is the name, um, that uh, that produced a movie. And I even went to their site to see if I can find out some particular information. And I maybe I just was in the wrong place, or I <laughs> or I didn't do enough snooping around. But I couldn't see exactly like what the release information was on this. Uh, but I do believe it's just going to be released on demand, pretty much where all rentals can be uh, can be found. Um, cool. But, yeah, I'll definitely be checking for this. 
Yeah, and 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 to be honest, I you know I, I saw in some of the comments uh, below the uh, you know uh, I think I checked out uh, this trailer on YouTube and and I was looking at some of the comments below and uh, and it was interesting to see that they were noting that like it felt like a lot of different sort of genres sort of mashed up right so it felt it, it felt like it was a uh, kind of like a you know oh hey like you know the older guy has like a little tag along kid um that he's you know he's responsible for for whatever reason um and then also this felt like a, a romantic comedy where he's kind of a player who can't settle down um and then on top of that it was it was uh, um, uh like he's he's uh he's dealing with his uh uh, girlfriend's ex. So it felt like a lot of different sort of things mashed up. And, and I saw some of that in the comments, you know, of the, of the trailer. But what was interesting about that is, is like, I don't think people understand that movie. That's how movies like are. And I guess maybe it was a little jarring to see that in a trailer. So many things sort of like so many different aspects of it mashed up into to the trailer. But if you see a movie and it's got like one note, it's going to be rough watching that movie chances are uh, generally speaking movies have more than a couple different sort of like genres in them you know um in order to mix up the flavor of what you're getting if it's just like if you're just very heavily genre specific that can get boring very fucking quickly um and so uh and so yeah i just thought that was very interesting to to see in the comment section below but yeah it looked like a interesting movie and jay lee uh who's the uh who's the main character that uh that, that you see there um he he wrote and directed the, the 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 film um and stars in it and so yeah i gotta I got get some love to my man you know uh yeah dude doing his thing you know uh so i can't hate animal uh at all uh and um and so so yeah definitely will be checking this out um and um and you got to respect the artists who do that like to write direct and star in the film it takes like a lot of compartmentalization to like be in actor mode when you're in front of the camera but to also direct like this the the, the production of the film right yeah. um and then like to write but also be willing to like ch um change your writing and ad lib and whatever and rewrite as you're filming yeah I got to respect like being able to divide and conquer all of those areas. So shout out to him. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it shows like a lot of clearly like a lot of talent, you know, and I, I don't know much about yeah. him. I don't know any of his previous work, uh, but, uh, but yeah, to do something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, my, my, my kudos to him uh, with, uh, with that being said, I think we will uh, press forward here uh, with our next story, which is another trailer uh, that we got uh, this, this past week. Uh, and this particular trailer is for the short history of uh, the long road, which uh, the if you'll bear with me, the synopsis is kind of long, and I didn't feel like looking up a different synopsis. So, uh, so you'll have to suffer through this. Um, so, uh, this particular film is uh, for teenage Nola. Uh, home is the open road. Her self-reliant father is her anchor in life uh, of. Uh, transients i think that's the word that might not be the word but whatever uh the pair cr uh, crisscross uh, the united states in a lovingly uh, refurbished rv relishing their independence and making ends meet by doing odd jobs a shocking rupture though uh cast nola out on her own 
Uh, she makes her way uh, to Albuquerque, New Mexico in search uh, of a mother she never knew. When her uh, motorhome unexpectedly breaks down, she f forges a bond with an auto body shop owner uh, who's played by Danny Trejo uh, the, uh, and senses the possibility of uh, mooring her ship in this storm. Okay, that yeah, that, that was a terrible synopsis of the film. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, but that was horrible. Uh, but this <laughs> is uh, directed by Annie Simon Kennedy, also written by Annie Simon Kennedy, uh, and stars Sabrina Carpenter, or Maggie Siff, uh, Stephen Ogg, and of course, like I mentioned, Danny Trejo, and is due out uh, June 16th of this particular year. Uh, so so yeah, this, uh, this trailer looked, um, it looked really, really interesting. Uh, it, it's kind of like um you know one of those sort of like uh movies where you're you're kind of like a lost and wandering soul and then you find something to like eventually anchor you to whatever the place is or help you figure out oh here's what my life is all about kind of situations uh so it looked interesting from that from that perspective and i i've, I've seen sabrina carpenter in a, in a few different things uh one of the ones that i can remember is shoes and help me remember and i, I don't i can't remember if you watched this film as well but it was this the film about um oh my god i'm gonna forget the name there's a film about uh, so i'm sorry go the ahead. hate you give she was the in hate that you recently. give yes 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 yep. that's uh that's exactly the movie that i'm looking for uh and uh yeah she she's a great actress because i absolutely hated her character with a fiery passion it was uh yeah, I, I saw what was going to happen with her a mile away, and it definitely did happen exactly how I was thinking it was going to play out. And uh, she played it to a T, so I can't uh, I can't hate on her at all. So um, that's one of the movies that I've yet to see that's on my list for sure. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting movie. I don't, I, you know, I definitely have comments uh, about it, but uh, but it was interesting nonetheless. Um, and so uh, so yeah uh yeah this this trailer looked uh looked cool uh yeah but yeah i, I like the music uh in this trailer like it seemed like really it's kind of like that somber like smoldering music where um it kind of fits that you know this journey that this character is obviously on um you know what this reminded me of and i forget exactly where i heard this but it's like a it's like an old like one of those sayings about life right like um, it's like life is, you know, like walking down the path or, you know, walking down like a long road and along that road. Sometimes, even though you think your destination is further down the road, you'll find a place that you like and you're like, you know what, I think I'll stay here for a while. And then you just end up building your life there. That's what this movie kind of feels like. Like she's just on this drive across America and then she like meets the uh, character. Um, looks like Miguel played by Danny Trejo. Uh, and it looks like, you know, she's going to settle there for a little bit, work at the shop, get her car fixed. And then, like, you know, she'll discover more about herself uh, there. So, you know, really good movie. I, I don't know much about Sabrina Carpenter, but you said she's a really good actress. I do know Danny Trejo. Love him. Uh, as well as uh, Stephen Ogg, who plays Clint in this movie. Uh, so you might remember him from, like, The Walking Dead. He plays, um, well, he is Negan, right? Um, I am Negan. Uh, but he plays Negan's right hand man in that show. Mm. Yeah, I don't, so this looks good. Yeah, I don't watch Walking Dead because uh, I don't like to watch. So you probably stupid things. You probably didn't get the. You probably didn't get the Negan reference. No, no, I did. I did. I do. I do know who Negan is. Uh, but uh, but I, I just don't watch the uh, the show. I've never. It's one of those things where I was like, I should start it, and then by the time that I wanted to, it was like everybody's like, yeah, it's kind of whack now. So, uh, so I just never bothered. Um, so anywho, uh, yeah. So again, that, that movie's, uh, due out, um, uh, June 16th of this year. And I'm sure it's coming out on, you know, whatever 
online uh, on-demand rental sites that uh, whatever whichever one you frequent. Uh, moving on. Um, so the next movie uh, you have Lovecraft Lovecraft Country on here. I think this is the one that we've done a trailer for already. Yeah. So so we actually did a, a review of the uh, the first trailer that came out for it, which was pretty ominous uh, to say the very least. But this is uh, another trailer that just dropped for it uh, for, and it's a HBO series actually. Uh, that uh, uh, yeah yeah, yeah that, that's coming out on 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 HBO. Um, so again, uh, just a quick synopsis, and we're not going to do the whole rigmarole like we did last time, but uh, but just to give you the quick synopsis, a young African-American travels uh, across the U.S. in the 1950s in search of his missing father. This is uh, directed or created by uh, Misha Green and written by her as well as uh, Matt Ruff and... Um, and also Jordan Peele, who actually I think is executive producing this along with J.J. Abrams. Um, he wrote one, I think, episode for this. And it stars Jonathan Majors, uh, Journey uh, Smollett-Bell, uh, Courtney B. Vance, as well as Michael K. Williams. And is due out uh, August of this year. Uh, I thought this trailer, I, you know, I was kind of debating on whether we should talk about it because we talked about the other one. But I, I feel like this one... Uh, gave us a little more, you know, than, uh, than we got in that, in that initial trailer and let, let us know a little bit more about the story and what's going on. Um, and is, uh, it was really interesting. what do you think? Yeah. I mean, um, like, like we said in our initial review, uh, I think this movie is, is interesting based off of the time that this is placed in, but also like we're getting a huge um, new element here that is, so this isn't just a story about like racism in the deep South. Um, so just to add a little bit of context to the synopsis you gave. So adding on the, to the fact that he's like embarking on this journey for his father who went missing in Georgia in the, like, the 1950s. Um, so this like in this show, like he's going to begin this struggle to survive, overcoming both like racist terrors in in uh, in white America, as well as terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a love a Lovecraft paperback. So again, there's like the um, 1950s Deep South, you know, racism and you know uh, uh, race wars that are going on on down there, and then you add in this element of like these like you know monsters who like live in the woods. Um, really interesting very unique like i haven't really seen much like this yeah and the second trailer definitely was a lot better than the first gave you a little bit more story yeah um and it, it was uh you know I, I found it really interesting because um you know again like lovecraft is you know he was a writer from back in olden time uh i, I forget exactly what years he he was actually writing um i think early 1900s uh, he, he was a writer back then um and he's really into like this surrealist kind of you know, uh, imagery and things like that in his stories. Um, and, uh, this story, I don't think it comes directly from him. I think it's a story that somebody else wrote. Uh, and I could really easily look this up, but I choose not to, I, I choose to revel in my ignorance. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And so it's going to be, it's going to be, and, and this trailer actually makes me a little more excited to see sort of what the mashup is of those worlds, right. Of these sort of like surrealist monster, uh sort of uh depictions uh along with uh the idea of racism of 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 uh, um you know that time period of the 1950s um 
and you know what a time for this to potentially <laughs> come out right uh you yeah. know in the in the in the face of everything that's uh that's happening in you know reality right now uh with, with the world so uh i'm sure hbo is just like you'll release the trailer now release another one <laughs> uh yeah. you know because they they sensed the mood uh you know and, and and knew that this would uh this would catch a lot of people's eyes especially you know at this particular moment in time so anyways i uh, don't want to belabor it too much but uh definitely looking forward to uh to, to lovecraft uh lovecraft country uh looks looks really dope it looks really interesting um so we can keep it pushing um with so this is an article from indiewire um uh titled uh streams of the day uh, as Total Recall turns 30, corporations still want to own your memories. Um, really interesting article. So this is a, um, <clears throat> so Paul Vo uh, Voorheen takes Philip K. Dick's short story uh, and imagines a future in which memories are currency and corporations rule entire planets, um, which was a wild concept of this movie, uh, which I believe came out in 1990 or 1989. Uh, starring a one Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, this movie was also remade back in like what is it like 2015 or 16 or something like that. Yeah, I think it was the Colin Farrell remake. Um, really interesting. Like I, I feel like this, and, and I love when these like older movies um, that are based in like a future which is somewhat similar to where we are today um, resurface and then kind of like reignite this conversation about like. All right, was this movie from 30 years ago? Like, are those things happening today where it's talking about corporations? Like, um, in, in this case, not necessarily owning your memories, but owning your data, right? Yeah. Which for a lot of that, it's like, it is owning your memories. Like you post a picture on Facebook, right? Facebook now owns that that data, that memory, right? You post it, you put, uh, what is that? TikTok, yeah. uh, the TikTok app. Um, all of the content that anybody posts on TikTok is now owned by TikTok, which is a Chinese company, and uh, companies under the uh, the the people companies under the People's Republic of China have to share that data with the Republic of China. So now, if you're a TikTok user, all of your data, all of those memories are also owned by the People's Republic of China, which is really interesting. Yeah, it really is. Um, and uh, you know, to to kind of. Uh, <clears throat> And I'll touch on what you were talking about here in a sec, but uh, to give everybody the quick synopsis for for children's uh, who aren't as uh, as aware, uh, Total Recall. You know, every now and then, you know, uh, a, a movie comes along, something happens uh, where it should have no right to be as good as it is, uh, and but it is really good. And uh, Total Recall, for at least for me, was one of those movies that. On its face, it seems stupid, and honestly, some parts of it actually are really stupid. But as a whole, uh, it's 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 one of uh, it's one of the the better films that I can remember from from growing up. And so, to give you guys a quick synopsis, uh, Total Recalls about Douglas Quaid, um, he who's haunted by a recurring dream about a journey to Mars. Uh, he hopes to find out more about this dream and buys a holiday to Recall Inc., uh, where they sell. Um, uh, implement uh, implanted memories, um, but something goes wrong with the uh, memory implementation, and he remembers be, uh, being a secret agent fighting against the evil Mars administration, uh, Cohagen. Uh, now the story really begins, and it's a roller coaster ride until uh, the massive end of uh, the the movie. Um, 
And so, yeah, for, for me, this uh, this film was so memorable in so many ways. And the reason why we're talking about it now, of course, uh, just like uh, I think you mentioned, Arania, is that uh, it's actually turning 30. So on June 1st, uh, 1990, this film came out. And uh, of course, we just passed June 1st, uh, 2020. And so it's it's crazy, man, to think about, you know, that first aspect of it, that fuck, it's 30 years old. It's been 30 years yeah. since... Total Recall first came out. That's an entire grown ass adult human being that <laughs> that yeah, has I'm been through 30. some shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that's uh, it's 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 an insane to sort of think about it that way. And then you look at like how far that films have come since then, and you take a look at some of the things, not only just like the themes of this film, but also just like the the visual effects and things like that. You you look at how far films have come since then, just in in, in thirty years, and how quickly it all sort of goes by. It's fucking amazing, man. Um, how 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 fast time uh, time flies. But uh, but the interesting thing about this film is is that it it of course just like you were talking about deals with. Um, the idea of memories and that uh, a, a corporation can sort of try to control your memories. Um, and even though we're not, you know, the, the, this article from IndieWire, it, it goes into detail about this specific aspect of it. We're not like, you know, corporations aren't like in your brain trying to fucking get your memories. Although I don't pass it by them, you know, uh, to try to do that at some point in the near future. It's around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, what they, uh, what they are doing is uh, we have social media, right? Uh, that uh, that in a way acts as sort of like a memory bank um, and corporations like, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, they all sort of act as sort of like capsules for our memories, right? Um, and they can control narratives of how you sort of remember things playing out. Like, so for instance, if you want to create a narrative about whatever your life is, you can create that on IG, you can create that on Twitter, you can create that on Facebook. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, that appears to be, and then, you know, sooner or later, you, you know, if you try to remember back to 10, 15 years, right, and you look back at some of these pictures, you might not remember all the things surrounding it, but you do remember that curated thing that you that you put out to the world, right? Like you might not remember, yeah. oh, in this particular time, so-and-so happened and it was a clusterfuck, but you do see that picture that's like, oh, I was smiling, so I must have been happy, you know, uh, or, or, you know, shit like that. So in a way, they actually are kind of controlling our memories uh, to some degree. Um, and then also companies, uh, you know, they're controlling, they're controlling our reality through data, right? So the shit that we see online is controlled by like Google, right? Algorithms that say, oh, you search for this. So therefore I'm going to show you that or, you know, advertising. That's how all this shit works out. So this movie total recall, while not like a hundred percent on the nose in terms of what we'd be dealing with, you know, today, uh, it, it certainly lends itself to the idea of memories and, and how corporations relate to to it, uh, you know, and how we relate to corporations as far as memories go. It's all very fucking interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and this has only been 30 years, right? So like imagine like in another like five to 10 years, like will we be closer to this to where you can actually store like real memories yeah. in some way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. Um, whether it's like you store them digitally, you store like maybe like transcripts of your memories, like, you know, uh, like, like literally like text uh, transcripts of it. 
Um, I think we'll be closer to that. I wouldn't be surprised if, or um, situations where people who have like memory loss, they're able to somehow go to a place and, you know, sit inside some crazy fucking machine and it'll help them remember like people with Alzheimer's or people who are just like aging and memory starts to deteriorate, uh, deteriorate. Um, it'll be really interesting. I think we'll probably be closer to it in like another five, five years mm. or 10 years, maybe even five. Mm. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. That is scary. Um, sorry, give me one second. Or maybe like help you forget, right? People who have like dealt with trauma. Like, what if there was a way to, to help you, like, to just, like, remove and delete certain memories? Do you think that should happen? Um, I don't know. I think it's very dangerous, right? Because it's, like, for people who have suffered some type of, like, trauma, you know, it might be they, the quality of their life could become better if they were um, not necessarily having to have to, like, deal with those past memories, but if they could just, like, forget it or remove it or delete it altogether, Right. Um, unless they wanted to, for some reason, access it. But uh, things like those will obviously be taken advantage of where like, you know, let's say some dirty, you know, you saw some dirty politician doing something and then now he, they're going to kidnap you and delete your memories. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's, course, a, that's literally the plot of Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, like there are ways to abuse it. And I think whenever there's like a way to to, to abuse something that puts like the greater society at risk. I don't think that step is necessary. Like artificial, I like robots. I don't know if artificial intelligence is like the best idea. We've seen enough movies and tell us it's not, but I mean, yeah, yes and no. Right. Like, it, but like we're already dealing with artificial intelligence in a very sort of like major way. If you look at like how, um, how systems are run, right. Like, uh, so for instance, like, um, you know, and I'm going to sound tr- tragically stupid because I'm, I definitely am not smart about uh, yeah. any of this stuff, but I proceed. Um, if you look at like how, how our, our systems are already built in terms of how much of it is like out of our hands, right? Like, uh, <clears throat> like trafficking, right? Like, you know, most of those systems are kind of like automated systems. They're not really being like specifically like there's a lot of it that's taken out of the user's hands and placed into just a system that works on its own right so it's just like if shit you know wanted to go sideways it could go sideways in a major way right now but well i mean i'm okay with ibm watson and i'm okay with (laughs) amazon web services alexa and siri i'm okay with them Uh, um i'm talking about some like irobot skynet (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's not where you a robot will be in your house, and you'll try and leave, and your robot is like back up, sit the fuck down, and you can't do nothing about it because he's made of like fucking uh, stainless steel. Yeah, yeah, but you you got to so, you got to yeah. kill switch though. You gotta you know you gotta you know just just uh, what is those uh, EMP? You just set off one of those EMPs like they did in the Matrix, and you'd be all right. You know, it's all good. But now we got to buy EMPs at home EMPs from Amazon, right? <laughs> So now Jeff Bezos just gets richer. We're, yeah. we're, we're fucked. Either way, we lose. Uh, so anyways, uh, uh, Total Recall turns 30. Uh, amazing uh, that, that that's the case. Uh, and, and I don't even acknowledge the, uh, the, the remake of it. I, 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 let's just forget about that. That never happened. Um, let's just keep it. Uh, with the, the remake original. wasn't too bad. It was terrible. It wasn't too bad. I actually did watch it and it was god awful. It was terrible. It was terrible. Um, it was okay. It, it, it didn't have the, uh, the campiness of... Like, it took itself too seriously 
you know? Yeah. Uh, where I think the, the first one, uh, the, the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger, knew that it was kind of ridiculous and it kind of leaned into the ridiculousness of it. Uh, whereas I think uh, the one with Call of Pharaoh like, took itself kind of seriously and you know, it just was not a good... No, I think that's like the best way to put it. Definitely took itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, they should have had a little bit more fun with that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, let's uh, let, let's move forward with our uh, next story here. Uh, we have, if this works correctly, ah, it does. Uh, yo, we back. Fucking NBA. Holy shit. Might be a possibility that we're getting some sports uh once again uh which it feels like it's been pretty much forever today uh so i was watching the other night uh, we were just flipping through the channel uh channels trying to figure out like what to what to watch we were trying to watch like some show or whatever and then we we landed on espn and you know uh they were on uh nba 2k uh you know season or whatever and it was bruh it was the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life because I think there was something wrong with their systems. Uh, and so it was like this drama of like the systems is down and then like they're trying to figure it out. And and like and then that turned into like <laughs> like the story, you know, instead of them actually playing. It was just like, you know, this guy's mad at this guy over here because he started playing and he and <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck am I watching? What is this? <laughs> uh so were you ever a 2k guy i was never like a basketball i was i was more of a madden guy than a 2k guy yeah uh shout out to uh shout out to ca chris agison uh it was him and khalid uh and brandon that were always uh, maybe not even b uh, i don't even know if b was in that uh, camp but uh they were always more the 2k guys i was always just madden it was just madden for me uh everything else is uh you know yeah, it didn't really matter. Um, so I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up the um, the the list of the 22 NBA teams that are going to be uh, that are going to be playing in the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a graphic that had like the full list of all the teams. Well, yeah, I can actually pull that up uh, on on the screen here if you want to give me a sec. And and I, what I was actually trying to do was find out the teams that weren't on the list. Uh, and I guess obviously we can do by you know orders of deduction. But uh, yeah. hold on one sec. Let me. Well, we don't need to talk about the teams that aren't on the list. They are not on the <laughs> list for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Who so wants to talk about yeah. those motherfuckers. Yeah. So if you, if you can see the list here, um, so in the Eastern so Conference, I'll run through it really quick. Yeah, oh, you got it. Yeah. Um, so I'll, it. I'll run through it. Mm-hmm. Eastern Conference, we got the Milwaukee Bucks at the one seed, Toronto Raptors at the two seed, Boston Celtics in three, Miami Heat in four. Which that's uh, I was I was surprised by that. Um, rest uh, the the you know the bottom few indiana pacers philadelphia 76ers brooklyn nets uh brooklyn nets is interesting because both Kyrie irvin and kevin durant i mean kevin durant was obviously going to be out for the season uh, or missed the majority of this season but i think he was supposed to make a late return this season mm. and he, re- he recently took to twitter just to say like yeah, I'm, I'm not i'm not playing this year yeah um and it's just really interesting how players can do that and i think Kyrie irvin also is just not playing this year um yeah uh so uh you know, after that, we've got the Orlando Magic and uh, Washington Wizards coming in at the ninth seed on the yeah. Eastern Conference. Just scraping um, by. Yeah, they're 24 and 40. <laughs> I don't know how they made it here. Yeah, I don't even know whatever. how the seeding fucking – like, how does it work in the fucking NBA where uh, teams with just abysmal records end up getting into the playoffs? And I guess it happens in the NFL no too, idea. but Jesus Christ. 24 and yeah, 40? Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, like, what? like in, in the NFL, you can make the playoffs at like eight and eight, right? Yeah. Um, which is not a good record. At least it's 500, right? Like you're kind of like even. But 24 and 40? How the fuck do you make the playoffs at 24 and 40? Um, yeah. Anyway, rounding out the Western Conference, Los Angeles Lakers at the one seed, Los Angeles Clippers in two, Denver Nuggets in three, Utah Jazz at four, Oklahoma City Thunder at five, and the rest of the teams are the uh, Houston Rockets, Dallas Mavericks, Memphis Grizzlies, the Portland Trailblazers, which always come in at a low seed, but I think like I think they're going to do pretty well. Um, it's it's about time that Dame time mm-hmm. got a championship ring. Um, then we got the New Orleans uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, that'll be really interesting to see if. Um, if uh, Zion Williamson is built for the playoffs, uh, then we got Sacramento Kings, San Antonio Spurs, and Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Uh, I don't fucking know, dude. I don't, I don't really watch basketball like that, to be perfectly fucking honest. Uh, so I, I, it's hard for me to come up with a with a you know uh, a, a well informed opinion. But what I can what I can do is give you some facts about what's going on. So, uh, you know, let me just read a little bit. This is uh, from from um, from from the actual uh, WNBA site. Uh, so, uh, the 2019-2020 NBA season went on hiatus on March 11th because of the coronavirus pandemic. On June 4th, the NBA's Board of Governors approved a competitive format to restart the 2019-2020 season, with 22 teams returning to play, uh, and it's tentative start date of july 31st uh just to answer some questions uh they were saying that um games and practices uh would be held near the orlando um uh near orlando as the season uh restarts uh uh is contingent on a agreement uh with the walt disney company to use walt disney world resort well, they just so yo Disney came into a bang on that. They're like, oh yes, because uh, we're definitely not going to have people fucking you know there for a while. So why don't you bring everybody? Just bring them all here. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and so they they definitely came up on a bag with that. Um, and then they go on to say it would be a single site location featuring a campus that would house players for the remainder of the season, which is kind of wild to fucking think about. So everybody is just going to be away from their families for like, you know, at least like three four months right i'm assuming because that's like how much the rest of the season would take right it would be about two or three months right that um i would say like two months about two months yeah because they're they're at two months of playoffs they're at like what 60 some odd games right now before Uh, they left off yeah about like 65 games i think how much games are there in a season i think they're like 70 or like somewhere between 70 and 80 i I think i don't know exactly the number right there's between 70 and 80 games I would say they'd want to wrap these playoffs up in like the next two months because then you got like football season starting, yeah, um, and then you you got to give the players rest to begin the, the basketball season at the top of the year, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a two month playoff, yeah. Uh, and so uh, so yeah, that that's just really interesting that people are just going to be like, and I guess they're typically gone right, like if they, they they're on the road anyways, but uh, but it just seems like because they have to like quarantine themselves essentially, like there can't be really too many outside people coming in and inside people going out. Like everybody kind of just has to stay there, you know. So that's really really interesting, and I wonder how the players feel about that. Much less like maybe the the staff and um, you know people who who are sort of on the peripheral of the NBA um, in comparison to the actual players. Um, 
very, very interesting to see how that all sort of works out. And God forbid that there's one person who actually does have coronavirus who, who ends up there, then we're canceling everything again. <laughs> or they'll just, yeah, you I, know, that person will just disappear. <laughs> we'll never hear that from them again. Uh, yeah, that's the interesting part, right? Is like, what if another player during this playoff thing test positive? Then they'd have to for sure uh, cancel everything. And you think about the revenue loss there, right? There's a, like, it takes a lot of money and revenue to get this thing back in motion and they have to shut it down again. You're probably going to lose more money than if it was just shut down. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of the players, it would suck to be away from home for that long. Um, but unless you had rich Paul representing you, uh, as your agent, when you signed your contract, you're not getting paid right now. So I think there are only like five, five NBA players, uh, who had contracts that, regardless of the coronavirus, um, made it so that they still earn their full salary. And all five of those players were being represented by Rich Paul, yeah. um, which is why the NBA, which is why the NBA passed a rule saying that like now agents have to have gotten like a college degree to represent NBA players, which Rich Paul did not have. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I, if I was a lot of these players, I'm like, yo, let's let's start tomorrow because I need that direct deposit. <laughs> But um, to, to give my predictions out of the Western Conference really quickly, um, I got it coming down to the Los Angeles Lakers and I got it coming down to the Portland Trailblazers out of the West. Mm. Um, out of the East, I got it coming down to Milwaukee Bucks and probably the, the probably the like 76ers, to be honest. Mm. Uh, we'll see Bucks and Sixers. Uh, I'm a Washington Wizards fan, but I don't got the Wizards going. You know what? Uh, something I read the other day mm. uh, over the past two years. Uh, um, what's his What's his name? Uh, Bradley Bill. Uh, fucking no, no, no. Uh, the Washington Wizards star point guard. Uh, damn, what's his name? John Wall. John Wall. John yeah. Wall. So over the past two years, John Wall's played like almost no games. Yeah. Right. Um, due to injury, but right? he's still yeah due to injuries, but he's uh st- still been paid uh roughly eighty million dollars over the past years to play no games. Hey, look. I mean, I'm sure that's he's, amazing. I'm sure he's playing a lot of 2K. You know, maybe maybe that counts. I don't a know. Lot, absolutely, <laughs> like right. But like, here's the thing, though. That, that it's a good and a bad thing, right? Because you're making a lot of money. Your body is healing, right? But in the NBA, you play to be the best, right? And and as good as John Wall is, no one is putting him in like the among the best conversations because like he's unhealthy. He hasn't played in a long time. Yeah, and this team sucks. <laughs> and, and I think as a player, even if you have a lot of money, you still kind of want to be like in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, but I mean, it, like, it kind of is what it is. Like, you know, if, you know, if, if the wizards were that displeased, of course they have the, the, the right to just kind of just get rid of him. Um, uh, and I have the wrong graphic up here. Uh, that sucks. Um, yeah, I might as well just turn it off. Uh, yeah, like, you know, you might want to just get rid of them, but also it's just like, I mean, unless we land some other big, you know, big ticket free agent, it would, we would hate to let him go, have him go beast on another team. It's like, it's like if you're dating somebody, right, you know, and, you know, they're not quite the best, you know, but you stick with them, you know, you stick with them. And then, you know, and then you break up with them because you're like, I can't do this shit anymore. And then and they, you see them flourish, see them glow up and you're like, wait, come on now. <laughs> like you, all that work I put in and I don't get the benefit from that shit. Fuck this shit. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that, that is the rough part. <laughs> that's why most people are, that's why most people are still in relationships. Not because really they want to be yeah. together. This is like, I, I don't want to see you flourish 
with some other nigga <laughs> doing all the shit that I taught you. I bought you that that purse. See her on a date with the dude and with another guy in the dress that you bought her. You're like motherfucker. You Not know, credit uh, score went up ten points. You know, uh, you know everything's looking good. Everything's looking great, clean. You know, but but uh, she back in the uh, gym. You like yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, all right. You know, so, uh, so yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, I thought that was a bit of good news, you know, and, and hopefully things, you know, still kind of, hopefully the craziness that, uh, you know, with everything going on right now with the protest, hopefully the, that kind of doesn't exasperate the whole coronavirus thing, but I can't foresee how it can't. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on it and see how you know things go and, and if the NBA uh, is going to still be on schedule. And they they did make go through pains to make everybody know that this is tentative, that it might not happen. Um, you know, it just depends on how things kind of shake loose between now and um, uh, between now and July thirty first. <clears throat> um, so so yeah, uh, we've got that coming. Um, and now we will go to a, a different uh, story. I don't know why I said it like that. It was very, very <laughs> unnecessary uh, for me to do. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 talk about something else that is uh, is tentatively scheduled. Uh, so of course we have Christopher Nolan's um, Tenant that is uh, scheduled for release on uh, July seventeenth. Um, July is a big goddamn month, man. Uh, there's a lot of shit that's. Uh, that's that's going down in July. Uh, that uh, the world's going to be waiting on, um, and uh, and of course, Tenet is one of them. Supposed to be first the first big blockbuster movie that's supposed to come out uh, post uh, coronavirus, um, uh, you know, lockdown protocols and all that. Uh, so we got an uh, article from the Wrap uh, that actually talked about this, and I'll just read a little bit of the the, the article. Uh, and this uh, particular segment is is talking. Uh, uh, the CEO of Sinmark, uh, Mark uh, Zordi, 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 I don't know. Um, he made some comments uh, about you know the possibilities of if Tenant doesn't come out, you know, uh, July seventeenth. Uh, and so he says, I can't promise you, nor can Warner Brothers promise you that Tenant is going to open on July seventeenth. But you have to choose a date to plan uh, too. And, uh, and so he said this, uh, in a, I think a quarterly conference call with the, uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, and, and from the article, it says, I remains uncertain, uh, just, to, uh, just how long coronavirus pandemic will keep movie theaters and Hollywood, uh, dark. Uh, then there's the added factors of the protests and riots, uh, that have erupted across the country following the killing of George Floyd. Uh, so experts have. Uh, expressed concerns that such gatherings could exasperate the pandemic, which are completely valid. I think, you know, and, and for, for the people who, you know, are, it, it's a tough, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to sort of like wrestle with, right? Because on one hand, the, the protests and the riots, uh, maybe not so clearly not so much the riots, but the, the protests, I think, are sorely needed, right? That that it's something that our, our society is long overdue, that we had like a frank and real conversation about race relations, uh, you know, and, and racism in the, in, in the U.S. specifically. Um, but it comes at a time where it's just like, oh, I don't know if I want to be outside, you know, mingling with a lot of people, you know, and, and everybody being in the same place. Because, uh, yeah, the coronavirus is very much still a thing. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so uh, so th there's right to be concerned about that. Um, 
And so with, uh, without the major cities ready for phase three uh, of reopening, this, uh, this, this says, um, uh, because I think a lot of uh, cities are currently in phase two of the reopening, but I think they're trying to gauge it to see if they can like move on to stage three or phase three of uh, the, the reopening, um, which that makes it more difficult to think that July 17th is going to be a solid date for tenant if, you know, a lot of states or a lot of cities, you know, can't really move on to that phase of it of, of, of allowing, you know, certain thresholds for, for theaters. Um, so, uh, so yeah, what do you think? Um, I mean, July 17th is more than 30 days away, right? So I think there's still a lot of time. Um, I think we're in phase two now. I think in another like two to three weeks, a lot of cities will move into phase three, even if they like rush it, um, especially around like July 4th weekend, right? I think a lot of cities across the country are going to like rush to, you know, restart America, right? Be because it's uh, Independence Day, right? Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I just I think it's going to happen. Um, if that happens, then I think Tenet is going to be in a good spot. I think movie theater is going to reopen. Um, you know, I, I, if we see in, infection rates kind of decrease, like the downside of the bell curve, if we see like the number of deaths reported decrease, I think there, there, there will be a good enough amount of people who are willing to go to the movie theaters to like make it feel and look like a success. Um, I don't know. I, it could very well happen. I won't be there, but it could very well happen. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I thought was really interesting too? How like we're just not giving a fuck at all about that movie that's coming out before Tenet with Russell Crowe. <laughs> What's it called? Like Road Rage or like uh, Break Dust or Unhinged, I believe. Unhinged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but like you know, we're we're within our means to just not give a fuck about it. It didn't look very good from the at least. Okay, I'll, I'll say this: if it weren't a movie that was like first to open up theaters, I would say. Yeah, it looks like a perfectly fine movie, but if if that's what you're trying to use to get me out to the theaters, yeah, no, no, Come no, on. bueno. That's <laughs> this, this is not going to happen. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna risk life and limb to see Russell Crowe, who you know, uh, who seems like you know maybe he's in his uh, his older age or he's starting not to give a fuck. <laughs> um, he's taking yeah. any role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and look, I'm not trying to hate on the movie, but at the same time, it's like I'm not risking life for that. You know. Um, no. So, uh, so anyways, uh, let me, let me get back to, uh, some of the things from this article, uh, Cinemark on Wednesday laid out, uh, its health and safety plan, uh, for reopening its theaters, uh, which we'll actually get to a different story about that in a, in, in a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they basically laid out sort of what they're going to be doing. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't look, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, I'm a little skeptical of it, or, or maybe I should even say more than a little skeptical of it, because, you know, one of the major things, the thing that we're going to talk about later is that, uh, they're not going to be requiring mask for, uh, for the, for the audience, for the customers, for the moviegoers. So yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, no, let's not do that. Let's, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, part of the, the, the thing about going back to the theaters is feeling safe, right? Like, even if like, and it, there's a whole bunch of like, there's a whole bunch of conflicting information about there about like if masks actually do work or if they don't. Okay. But at least make people feel safe by yeah. like having people wear a mask and shit, you know, and, and it, it couldn't hurt, you know, to, to do it. So that's really a head scratcher. Uh, I, I don't, Maybe their thought process is that if we don't want to turn anybody away, so if somebody comes without a mask, we don't want to like risk 
running into that issue of like, oh, sorry, we can't accept you into the theater. But at the same time, bruh, it feels like that's a risk that you you're taking very unnecessarily. Like, if you're the asshole yeah, who like doesn't wear a mask, then just okay, like just go the fuck home, dude. Like, you know, you know what I think it is. I think they're taking into consideration whether or not people will buy concessions if masks are mandatory, right? Hmm. Um, so, like, if you have to wear a mask, are you going to buy popcorn, knowing that every time you have, every time you go to take a bite of your popcorn, you're going to have to like remove your mask, put it back on, chew, and you're going to have to keep doing that. Um, if that's the case, I think a lot of people just say, "Nah, I'm, I'm just not going to like get any." drinks or popcorn or candy so the theater's probably like let's just make it so that masks aren't required uh so we can sell those concessions um but for me like if i'm in, if i'm in the theater and i'm you know following the rules and i'm wearing a mask and i'm taking all the like the proper necessary precautions and i see people just like out here no mask in it and fucking just eating can't like putting like four people eating from the same thing of popcorn and coughing and sneezing yeah, I'm out of there, bro. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's wholly unnecessary to take that risk. Like, it's like, bro, like whatever movie it is, I can see that at another theater. I can, you know, I can see that at another time. Like, it's like we don't we don't need this, you know. And no. uh, and I and I've heard of some places that they might not even do concession stands now. Of course, um, that kind of doesn't make any sense because it's like that's pretty much where all their revenue comes from is from the concession stand right uh yeah you know for for theater um so it's like they have to do concession stand but at the same time it's kind of like but that leaves the window open for you know taking the mask off and, and it's kind of like well what's the point of wearing a mask if you're just going to keep taking it off so i think you you actually might be onto something there as far as like that playing a major factor into why sinmark at least is uh wouldn't wouldn't be doing that but anyways uh, that's a story that we're going to dive into uh, in a little bit. And honestly, now we might just skip it since we just kind of talked about it through and through right there. Uh, and, and and here's one other thing though. I wonder if, uh, and this is something we're going to have to look out for. I wonder if movie theater chains are going to change their like, uh, you know, policy and procedures um, or their, their right. Um, pre pretty much like the rules of, of what it means to purchase a ticket. Like if you purchase this ticket, and I'm pretty sure they're going to change the language under our noses, but it's like, if you purchase a ticket, you come to the movie theater and you contract COVID-19 while attending uh, or while watching a movie in our theaters, we are not like responsible for that, right? Even if the theater chain was the one who like basically didn't have any precautions, like wear a mask, wear gloves, um, or didn't go through the necessary steps to clean their facility, I think they're going to change their, their legal um, writing and basically just saying that if you purchase a ticket, you're like foregoing the right to be able to like sue them for anything because you're choosing to attend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how they can kind of like, um, I don't know how they can write that into like their thing. Right. Because then that gets into a hairy thing of like, okay. And I'm sure that goes into like their whole idea of like insurance too. Right. Like of, are you covered if something happens to you at the theater? Like, so for instance, if you're at a theater and there's like some fucking butter, you know, some butter on the ground or some shit and you slip, fall, bust your ass, you know, and you, you, you end up breaking your fucking like tailbone or some shit. Well, can't you just sue the theater for not having, making sure it's clean. And then if that's not true, then it's just like, well, all right, maybe I don't feel so safe going to a fucking theater. If I know you can just get away with anything, right. You can just have the theater be in whatever condition and it's up. Uh, it's not my fault. You bought the ticket, you knew the risk. And it's like, well, you know, I'm going to go watch a movie, not going to fucking war. There shouldn't be that many fucking risk, um, that much risk going to a theater, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, that, that, that opens a whole can of worms that I don't know if they necessarily want to get into that whole 
back and forth. And then also, too, they have to make it abundantly clear to the people who are purchasing the ticket that that's what's happening. And I just don't know how they do that. I don't know. I don't well, know I mean, people that. don't read disclaimers. They just <laughs> they just put put it on the website. They print it on the back of the ticket. Um, nah, but you see, now they, but they but they would have to make it abundantly clear, especially here in this coronavirus <laughs> era, that that's going to be the case. Like they would have to go beyond the measure of just having it in fine print somewhere. They would have to like almost like everybody who buys a ticket, you would have to have like, oh, do you check off that you agree to these specific terms? Um, you're, you're probably going to, it's probably going to be in like the purchase of it, right? Like all right, when you're purchasing, like if you purchase it online before you check out, you check that like box saying that, like, I agree to the terms, blah, blah, blah. When you buy your ticket at the stand, it's going to, there's going to be like a sign there that says like, you know, by purchasing a ticket, they're going to take those steps, but like, I think they're going to try and do it in a way that covers themselves legally. Um, and kind of like puts the not necessarily the blame, but like the burden back on the person. It's like, hey, you chose to buy this ticket, you chose to attend. We've gave we've given you the fair warnings. The Surgeon General of the United States has given you warning as well. We're covered. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, but anyways, uh, let us know in the comment <laughs> section below. Like, what the fuck you think? Like, do you think that this is? You know, uh, that Tenet's going to be able to release July 17th and, and that it will bring people back to the theaters. There's kind of evidence on, on both ends that it might might not. Um, yeah, either way, we want to know your thoughts. Let us know in the comment section below. That being said, we're going to move the fuck on to our next uh, story here. And I believe we are at seven. Okay. Um, and so, so in speaking of all these sort of like reopenings, uh, and this is kind of our uh, coronavirus roundup, uh, uh, C- California just kind of announced that they're going to, uh, that they laid out some measures to restart production on uh, films and, and TV shows. Um or TV content, I guess. Uh, so let me, let me give you some uh, info here from Deadline. So, um, uh, Gavin, uh, our California governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, released uh, on Friday his long-awaited guidelines for restarting uh, film and TV production in the state amid the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Uh, the California Department of um, Public Health released guidance as follows. Music, TV, and film production may resume in California, recommended uh, no sooner than June 12th, 2020, and subject to approval by county public health officers within the jurisdiction uh, <clears throat> of operations following their review of local uh, epidemiological epidemiological <laughs> epi- how do you say this <laughs> epidemiological that's okay uh, data yeah I don't know <laughs> good good for good for you for trying <laughs> hey look I, I I never quit uh, unless it's Madden and somebody's beating me really bad um data including cases per 100,000 population, uh, rate of test positivity, and the local preparedness to support a healthcare surge. Vulnerable populations uh, contact tracing and testing. Uh, To reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission, productions, cast and crew, and other industry workers uh, should abide by safety protocols agreed by uh, labor and management, which uh, may further uh, enhance by county public health officers. Back office staff and management uh, should adhere to office workspace guidelines published by the California Department 
of Public Health in California Department of Industrial Relations to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission. Holy shit, that was a mouthful. Okay, long story short, the, people can get back the fuck to work uh, with productions. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I think... I think it is around that time where we can start to think of like, okay, well, what's the best and reasonable way to try to start reopening some of these things? What's going to be the critical factor in all this is oversight that you're going to actually need to check to see if people are adhering to these protocols. Because if you're not, then everybody's just going to try to get away with whatever the fuck they're going to get away with. And we're going to end up in a worse situation than we started in because shit's going to spread like wildfire. And also nobody's going to want to reshut down anything. So we're going to be in a fucking catastrophe if, um, if, if there aren't protocols put in place to actually check up on, um, you know, what what people are actually uh uh doing so so yeah what do you what do, what do you think no yeah i mean i think you're, you hit the nail on the head there oversight is going to be like absolutely important and i mean you have to give the people who are um going to be like leading the oversight of you know whether it's you know it could be something as simple as like a movie production or it could even just be like you know a bar or restaurant the people who are going to be in charge of doing that oversight to make sure people are following the rules they're going to need to be like given like some type of authority and decision making power or people are just going to say you know ah, fuck it right i'm not going to listen to those rules like so on like a on a production set right if they're filming like a tv show or a movie um Everybody should have to follow the rules because like the second that one or two people don't, that's when, you know, that's going to throw everything off track. Um, so I, I'm just like thinking here, if you're shooting a scene in a movie, right, there should be no one allowed on set who hasn't had their temperature checked, um, you know, clean hands. I'm not sure if they're going to be like requiring everyone not in front of the camera to be wearing a mask and gloves. Um but whatever those protocols are, someone is going to have to be on top of that. Because the, the second you give, like, let's say the director of the movie, um, if, if he, that person is in charge of, like, safety and protocol, you know, that person to have so much other things on their plate, more than likely some of the things are going to fall through the cracks, right? And when anything falls through the cracks, that's when we're going to see um, or we're likely to see infections start to increase and then we got to shut down production again. Yeah. Uh, I, that's why this article is so, uh, so interesting because, uh, as they kind of allude to in the article, um, from, from deadline, uh, they allude to the fact that, uh, this, you know, what they were saying, which was that, uh, productions, uh, cast and crew and other industry workers should be able to, uh, to, should abide by safety protocols agreed by labor and management, which may be further enhanced by county public, uh, health officers. So basically what they're basically saying is it's up to the productions to, you know, to adhere to to these rules and, and protocols. Um, but that puts the establishment as the article says that puts the establishment of the actual protocols in the hands of producers and guilds and possibly local health officials. Now, that last part is where I think it should just begin and end, right? It should put those protocols in the hands of the, the health officials. Um, and, and obviously, that would be a massive undertaking, but I think it's it would yeah. be completely, like, necessary in order to, like, actually, like, have shit actually work out, you know? And, and also, too, it's, like, it's kind of to help the production's like to protect them against themselves because you're absolutely right that if it were up to like the directors and shit, they're like press forward. What's that? A person's dying from COVID-19 who's been on our set for the last two yeah. weeks. Uh, what are you going to do? You know, shoot it again, <laughs> <laughs> take 45, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, uh, I think that they should put it in the hands of the health officials uh, because, you know, 
one would think that they would be the most sort of impartial in it all and can kind of call strikes, strikes and balls, balls, you know, you know, uh, using a uh, baseball reference. Um, yeah. But like you said, that's a massive undertaking, right? It's going to yeah. require a lot of like manpower and resources for, uh, you know, a, a state or local health official to be on site for every production that's happening, right? On each day of shooting, um, you know, with all the, thousands of projects that are going on and on any given day in a city like LA. Uh, so I don't know how they get it done, but I can see a lot of things falling through the cracks if you leave it up to the people um, who are a part of the production, right? Uh, like, you know, if, if, if I had the job of being responsible for safety and health protocols on a, you know, shoot, uh, you know, where like, let's say a big Hollywood director, like James Cameron, Martin Scorsese, right? If I'm the safety and protocol person on a Martin Scorsese film. <laughs> yeah. You, you tell Marty, you're going to shut that shit down. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and then he wants to shoot the scene and I'm like, sorry, Mr. Scorsese, but every, and he, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Right. As <laughs> you, you do it like uh, Chris Rock used to say, he's, you're like, uh, you know, like anything whispered ain't getting done. So if you go up to your 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 girlfriend, your wife, whatever, and be like, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse yeah. me, uh, can we have some sex? Or can you give with, me with some the head? Point on, like, excuse me, <laughs> yeah. can we check everybody here just to make sure we're all following safety protocols? Scorsese is like, no, get the fuck yeah. away from me. There's nothing you can really do about that. And yeah. then like the next day you get fired and they just replace you with somebody who will do what, what like the director on set wants you to do. So it's like, yeah. um, you know, I don't know what the right answer for that is. Yeah, uh, again, it's it's by removing the oversight from the actual production, and and again, it's a tough spot to be in. I don't know if there's a right answer, but I know that there's going to be issues either way. And so this is the you know this is kind of the direction which they want to go in, and we'll we'll see in due time if it if it works out. Uh, but uh, with that being said, we'll, we'll jump forward here with our uh, with our next. Um, uh, story, which again, we, we kind of started this conversation a little bit. And so like, I, I guess we should finish it up. Uh, but we were talking about mask, uh, mask off for, uh, for Sinmark. Uh, so this, this article comes to us, uh, comes to us from, uh, Cineblend or cinema blend. Um, and, uh, it says, uh, wearing a face mask is an additional layer of protection when practicing social distancing. But according to the rap, uh, when Cinemark plans to open again, uh, they will only require their employees to wear the face mask uh, uh, and not their guest. Instead, uh, they'll reportedly encourage patrons to do so without making it requirement. Um, the CEO, Mark uh, Zordai uh, of, of Sinmark, said that uh, they've been focusing on developing health, uh, health and safety measures uh, like increasing their cleaning and sanitation, installing plexiglass and screens. Um, and including seat buffering technology, which that sounds weird as fuck, uh, to make, uh, sure their guests are socially distanced. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we, we talked about it before. It was kind of stupid, um, that they're doing this because it seems like they're introducing kind of like even further liability that's already there. And it seems like a very simple thing to do to just require, you know, people to wear a mask at least while they come into the theater like it's a different conversation i think you know as you brought up before you're talking about um perhaps they're doing that because of this concession that uh that you know if you're eating popcorn you're not going to want to like keep putting your mask on and off and so they're like kind of like well fuck it anyways you know like let's just 
not have it uh, or not require it uh, necessarily to be in the theater. But I see that as just like a like as we we talked about before, it's just like a fucking very unnecessary like risk that you're taking because now people are going to be looking at your theater specifically as like, nah, look, uh, you know, uh, I know a lot of COVID nineteen cases are going to come out of there, so I'm going to avoid, <laughs> I'm going to avoid that theater specifically uh, because I know that they they don't have all the safety protocols that we'd want in place in place. Yeah, I mean, this just seems like, as you said, unnecessary risk. Um, and I mean, having your employees wear like face masks, right? I feel like that would make consumers feel a little bit better, right? Um, you you can't, or you may not be able to have every consumer um, or every moviegoer come in and, and wear gloves and a mask. Um, and I think those who are going to attend movies know that, right? But you know, if you're if the person checking, you know, my ticket is wearing gloves and mask, if the person behind the concession stands is wearing gloves and a mask, I maybe would feel a little bit better about like buying, you know, popcorn or pretzel or something like that. So I think like there are things that you can do, whether it's necessary or not, or whether or not it's really gonna prevent the spread of COVID-19 to just give consumers that impression of, uh, of you know, like th those necessary steps are being taken. Um, make mandating that employees don't have to or won't have to wear masks. I, I feel like, you know, it doesn't make any sense for the business, right? If you want to, if you want to make me feel confident coming back to your business, like take that one step, what those one or two steps, whether or not they're necessary or not, you just take them to, sh to make me feel comfortable. Um, so I, I don't really know if I get the decision uh, or the thinking here, but again, I, I won't be at the movie theaters anyway. So <laughs> yeah, I, I might just for maybe this isn't about me. Fair enough. Yeah, it's definitely for the early adopters, but I, I think I might go like we talked about before. I might go just for Tenant, but I don't know if Wonder Woman 1984 is enough to get me out. I don't know if uh, uh, Mulan, if that should still come out in theaters, because there's speculation that it actually might not come out in theaters. Uh, I don't know if that's enough to get me out. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a bootlegger's dream right now. You know, to to have it, people really hesitant to to go out to theaters. So uh, so they're definitely going to be peddling that shit online. Might have to check it out illegally. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, but any for any anyways, um, we uh, we talked about that a little bit before, so we won't make it a, a long conversation about that. Uh, so so we'll move on here. Uh, moving on to our next story. Uh, this one is uh, <laughs> interesting to say the very least. Uh, so on. Uh, I think it was on Friday or, you know, what? let me just give you the actual article from uh, from Mediate. Uh, so a Fox News graphic uh, charting uh, market performance uh, followed um, uh, following the killings of Martin Luther King Jr., Michael Brown and George Floyd, uh, as well as the Rodney King police uh, brutality verdict uh, has sparked widespread outrage on Friday night's edition of Special Report with Brett Baer, anchor Brett uh, Baer tossed to Fox business correspondent Susan Lee, um, who... Uh, uh, for a report on the stock market during the uh, during which the offending graphic was displayed, um, and it basically just sh showed what the S and P five hundred uh, has done in the wake of uh, these these uh, these deaths of of uh, you know these these black men, and um, and Lee commented while she was talking about the you know talking about uh, you know 
while the graphic was on screen, she was saying that stock markets uh, hitting new height uh, despite the protest this week. Historically, there has been a disconnect between uh, what investors focus on and what uh, what happens across the rest of the country. Uh, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to talk about the story was uh, numerous, uh, but let me give you your initial uh, reaction to it. Uh, I mean, I, I try to think about these things, you know, try to think about like what happened like before the thing happened um, and, the, and the thinking leading up to it, right? So in order to show this graphic, someone in their office you know, in charge of like the research side of like uh, of these news stories had to like pull this data with the intent of looking at it from a financial perspective, right? So they had to go look at the S&P 500 data um, during, back during the time of the MLK assassination, the Rodney King acquittal, uh, the Michael Brown death, and uh, most recently George Floyd death, right? So they, they had to go pull and find all that data. Um, they had to, uh, uh, create like this and build a story around the data too, right? Like, what is this data telling us? What is it telling our viewers? Um, and then they had to do something as simple as like create this graphic. Um, we, so there's a lot of things that went into the creation of this. There's a, there was a lot of thought, right? At any point in time, they could have said, mm, maybe this is highly insensitive. Um, and, you know, this is something that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing just because it's, it's it's way too soon and and again it's just insensitive um, and what is the purpose of it? But they went ahead with it anyway, uh, and I think Fox News went ahead with it because they know that you know the Fox News viewer is going to see something like this and they're going to respond well to it. Their other viewers, I mean, uh, people who don't watch Fox News will be upset, but Fox News viewers will look at this and you know. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, it, this may make some of their financial decisions change. It, it, you know, they might share it. this. This is going to make the news, right? It's going to make other uh, news. Um, so I, I think I don't think they're sorry. They issued an apology for it. But I think they went ahead with it, knowing that it's going to stir up some controversy. It's going to create more news. Uh, and then they just have to issue like a BS apology for it afterwards. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of thought that went into this. Yeah. And I'm not going to, like, ignore that. Yeah, no, 100 uh, percent. Um, you know, there definitely was a lot of thought that went, uh, went into that. And, uh, but you know, there are a lot of people who are saying, oh man, you know, fuck Fox news. You know, how could you put this disgusting graphic up? Uh, me for one, not at all. Thanking Fox news. Thank you, Fox news. I, I appreciate you. You do, you do, uh, you do us a, a, a great service by putting this graphic up. Uh, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that, <clears throat> You know, when when things like this happen, right? We we look at the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King. We we look at Rodney King. Uh, you know, the most recent George Floyd, um, uh, as well as Michael Brown. Uh, you know, um, we look at these events, and there's sort of a, a swelling within the actual um, within the culture, right? Uh, within within um, within our our, our sort of um, what am I trying to say? Society, right? There, there's like this upswell of like, hey, what the fuck? This looks crazy, looks wrong, what the fuck? But what this graphic tells us specifically is, is that this is what companies are thinking when tragedies like this happen. They're not thinking, oh, this is fucked up. And so what, what this got me to thinking is, uh, and I know we talked about this, we had a conversation about it um, before, uh, before we, we even started the podcast. I think we, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. 
is, you know, certain companies will come out and say, hey, we stand with, you know, what's going on right now. We and, and they've been doing it a lot, like, you know, uh, in, in with what's happened to George Floyd um, and, and in the light of all these protests that are going on. You know, there have been a lot of companies that have come out who don't usually take stands like this are taking a stand, you know, uh, which is commendable. But also they're making it from both ways, right? So they're saying to themselves, oh man, this is really tragedy, you know, tragic and fucked up and it's, and it's terrible. But also what's our stock look like right now? You know, what's, what's going on for business, you know? And so isn't it an incredible thing that even in the light of what we've seemed to think as like resistance to, 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 you know, the idea of racism or, uh, you know, systemic racism, those type of things. Um, these companies are still winning that they can rig the system so much that even in our resistance, they're still profiting, you know, uh, off of it, which is an incredible thought to, 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 to think, uh, to, to think. And so I, for one, I think Fox news for putting this up because it reminds us, it reminds me specifically that, you know, that there's so much work to be done to dismantle these systems that, uh, take place because they're in, in any sort of logical world, the stock market shouldn't go up <laughs> as protests are being waged uh, because of systemic racism, as well as police brutality and, and all these sort of things. Um, that shouldn't, it shouldn't happen that way. And yet it definitely does. And so th Fox News is reminding us of that, which I think is, is a good thing. They should remind us that, hey, even though you guys think you're resisting, um, uh, we're profiting off of that resistance as well. So, you know, uh, so even when you think you're winning, you're actually still losing, you know? Um, and so, uh, so I think that's a sobering thought that I think, you know, we all could stand to remind ourselves of as, as the time goes on. And, and again, as these protests kind of die down, as, as, you know, things kind of move back towards some sort of semblance of quote unquote normalcy, uh, I want us to all keep this graphic in mind because it'll remind you that, uh, there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, and it doesn't just stop with, you know, oh, we protested, so we think that the game's over. No, it goes far and and well beyond that. Uh, so Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that. I think um, I think for a lot of people, protesting and, like, posting on social media seems like, you know, hey, I'm a part of the, uh, you know, I was a part of the movement, I'm a part of the solution. And then something like this just kind of shows you that uh, not really, because the people who are, you know, rich people and these like big corporations, like they're still making money, right? Um, they're still benefiting financially. Uh, so then it, it forces you or should force you to rethink, you know, how you actually go about um, making your decisions like after the protest, like what do you do afterwards, right? Um, do you go about, you know, did you like go out with your sign and did you post Black Lives Matter on Instagram and is that where it ends or do you now financially start to make different decisions by spending your money with companies that support justice and equality and things like that, and then not spending your money with companies that clearly don't support those things? Um, you, you know, one what, uh, one article that I read recently, which talked about how um, for for like taxpayers, right? If you're unhappy with um, the way that your state is spending or your city is spending your tax revenue, um, things that you can do to change that, right? So. 
Uh, for example, in the city of Baltimore, I was looking at this recently. I think the the, the police department's budget for like 2021 is like $500 million, right? Or I think it's like $557 million. Uh, the amount of money being allocated to the to like education for the state is like a hundred million. The amount of money being allocated to like uh, um, like programs to help people with like homelessness and unemployment is like fifty million. Um, the amount of money being dedicated to like infrastructure and creating new jobs and things like that is like seventy five million. So it's like there's a, such a massive difference. I mean, $500 million to the police department, but only like 50 million for education. There's something wrong there, right? And how do you impact that? Um, and I think this is something that I'm gonna do moving forward too, is like not having your taxes taking out of your pay um, on like a weekly, monthly, or weekly, bi-weekly or monthly basis, but just like paying your taxes yourself at the end of the year, right? Um, so that your tax money isn't constantly being misused and you kind of have more control over it. At the end of the year, you're still gonna have to pay what you have to pay. But I think like, you know, when you look at deductions and write-offs and if you do it the smart way, you're paying less in taxes and, you know, that may impact how that money is used or misused. Yeah. Um, what I so the graphics like this, you know, uh, as terrible as they are, they should they should make you think or they should make you feel something more than angry right like you should get angry get frustrated and then think okay how do i uh, what can i do to to change this is, is the short version yeah um and and what i think uh what i think is interesting about what you're saying is uh, you know as far as taxes go you're you're absolutely right about that but you know what's interesting is and you know i hear that you know everybody's you know um there's there's a lot of upswell for uh, defunding the police, right? Which is you know uh, I'm not gonna lie, like I I had my skepticism about things like that before, but kind of looking into it, it's kind of like yeah I don't know I, I don't know what are the options we might have here outside of like basically abolishing police, right? But that argument aside, right? Um, like even if you take Baltimore for as an example, right? What's interesting is to see this in connection to like what people are actually like, running on. Like, so for instance, we just had an election here in Baltimore that I, I don't, I still don't even think is is settled yet. Right? They're still trying to figure out who the who the mayor is uh, for uh, for Baltimore. Um, and uh, and pretty much what every candidate kind of ran on, uh, besides a few candidates here and there, was basically, oh, we've got to do something about crime. We've got to do something about crime. Crime is too much, too much, too much crime, right? We've got to do something about it. So it's like, well, I wonder, well, how can both things be true? How can you want to do something about crime, but also then defund the police without like a coherent like plan in its place, you know? And so, which is a long, way longer project than, you know, just like one term or one year or whatever the case is, right? Uh, so it's like kind of the people have to decide what they they want in a way right do you want to defund the police or is the priority because these candidates wouldn't be running on uh crime if uh you know or, or you know taking on crime if they didn't think that it would help them in at the ballot box right and that of course fear is a huge motivator so you know saying people oh my god your city's on fire you need me to come help and save it you know um is is kind of usually a, a good tactic to take you know to just scare people into voting for you uh but uh but i i wonder how those two things kind of live in concert together of um defunding you know the police department um and, and what you're talking about was actually you know 
uh, an interesting strategy. Although, yeah, I would argue that you're kind of still paying into it, you know, no matter what, whether you pay now or whether you pay later, you're going to pay, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I think that there are a lot of different strategies out there. And, and if you, you know, donate to a ch certain charities and things like that. Um, then of course you can use those as write-offs, um, which, which would help you tax time. Um, but, uh, but that gets complicated as far as like, is that actually trying to achieve your goal? Uh, but anyways, uh, a very long yeah, conversation. There, there, the there, there's no clear cut answer for this at all. Um, uh, I'm all for defunding the police so long as that money is strategically used to fund in other areas that, that will still help decrease crime, right? Um, $500 million to the police department, but only like 50 to $75 million in education seems like it's, it's working against itself, right? Because those yeah. people who weren't, um, invested in like through like education and, and employment, right? They will eventually, you know, studies show that they may be more susceptible to commit crimes, right? And then you got the police trying to like stop the crime. What would happen if you uh, funded education more, right? Smarter people make smarter decisions. Um, smarter people with uh, um, job opportunities uh, will, you know, for the most part, right? Theoretically, or hopefully they'll steer away from crime. Yeah. Smarter people. Tell, with that, job tell that to the guys on Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, the, when you have a lot of money and, and, and drugs are cheap, that's, that's a whole different thing, right? <laughs> but like smarter people with job opportunities who are like healthy, who have like a government and a system who like supports them, um, you know, generally, I think we're going to see a decrease in crime there, right? Uh, and that only happens if you take some of that money being funded, uh, being funneled to the police department and you invest that back into the community, I think you'll have a better balance then than like a lot of money being given to police and no money being given to to the people. Yeah. No, I think you're hundred percent right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, we're not just trying to have the conversation with ourselves. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on it. So let us, let us know what you, what you think, uh, about that Fox news graphic, uh, that, uh, that they showed, uh, let us know in the comment section below, uh, what, what uh, what you think about that and, and what do you think about everything going on right now, just as a whole. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, with that being said, we will trek forward here with, uh, yet a, another all right let's jump into our our next story here which uh you know this is I, I thought it was a really interesting story uh it it had to do with the movie selma which was directed by of course by ava duvernay i still don't know how to pronounce her name i, I feel like i'm saying it wrong every time i i say it. is it duvernay is it duvernay i think it's ava duvernay, duvernay? i say duvernay okay yeah. it's got like a little bit of a it sounds French, smoother yeah <laughs> A little French appeal to it. Um, uh, so yeah, this comes to us uh, by way of uh, Collider, but although like everybody kind of talked about this particular story, uh, yeah, I think it came out over the course of the weekend. Um, so if I can pull up my trusty dusty notes here. Um, so uh, so Selma, which is a movie that came out in uh, I think 2014, I believe that the, the film came out in. Um, and, you know, it had much fanfare. There was so much critical acclaim about the movie. Uh, I think it even got like a 99% uh, to, uh, 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 rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but uh, it got snubbed basically from the Oscars. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, reading here from an article from Collider, um, it was uh, 
when it came to the Oscar nominations, uh, it was only nominated for best uh, best original song, uh, which it won, uh, and uh, best picture. But surprisingly, without any nominations for best director, best original screenplay, best uh, uh, or best actor for uh, uh, David uh, uh, Oyelowo's uh, performance as uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so everybody kind of uh, speculated about what happened, especially when you had other films like The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, and American Sniper all kind of being nominated as, as well as taking home um, some, some, some pretty big prizes. Um, so so uh, uh, Oye Lo, uh, uh he spoke to Screen International saying that the, the cast and crew of Selma wore I Can't Breathe t-shirts in remembrance of Eric Garner who was murdered by cops uh, in July uh, 2014. Academy, uh, Academy members responded by saying that they were stirring shit uh, uh, and would vote for uh, and would not vote for the film because uh, it wasn't their place to do that. Uh, uh, DuVernay uh, confirmed the story on, on Twitter. Um, so, so yeah, I thought this brought up a very interesting topic, uh, uh about, <coughs> I think I just swallowed a fly. No, I fly. I got you. Caught you sleeping. <laughs> Fuck. Son of a bitch. All right, but I will press on because uh, <clears throat> the show must go on. But I am. Are we gonna leave that in? I guess it's a it's a blooper <laughs> moment. Uh, son of a bitch. All right. Anyways, so so I'll jump in here really quickly. Yeah. So like uh, you know, again, Eric Garner. He was the the gentleman who was uh, pretty much strangled outside uh, of a uh, convenience store back in, was it 2014? Um, yeah. By uh, New York, or by NYPD, um, you know, which sparked the, like, I can't breathe movement. We saw it across like the NFL. We saw it in, uh, we saw it in basketball. Um, we saw a lot of like celebrities uh, and companies use their platform in support of Eric Garner. Um, I believe the officers who uh, choked him out and ultimately killed him were like all acquitted, I believe, of, of, of any wrongdoing. Um, yet here we are again, you know, six years later. And what's really interesting now is all these companies coming out and all these uh, businesses and celebrities and um, organizations coming out now saying that like, oh, we need to learn a lesson from this and we need to... Uh, you know, we need to like learn from the things that have happened and in order to impact and change policies moving forwards. Um, and it seems like that's what happens every time, right? Eric Garner um, uh, was, was killed and then, oh, we need to learn from this. We need to do better. Uh, you know, we, we got uh, Michael Brown. We've got uh, Tamir Rice. We've got uh, most recently George Floyd. We've got, uh, uh, what is it, Shiana uh, Taylor? Uh, Brianna uh, or Taylor. Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor. So it's like, you know, for example, um, Roger Goodell, who's an uh, NFL commissioner right now, recently came out and said that like the NFL got it wrong, right? With the whole uh, Colin Kaepernick, um, even with like I can't breathe after Eric Garner's death, like, and he's now coming out saying that like, they got it wrong and they're going to do better and they're going to use this as a learning moment. Um, I don't know, man. I, I got to kind of call bullshit on that. I, I think the NFL knew it was wrong when they were blackballing Kaepernick. 
Um, and I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find out what they learned like from this. Um, or if a lot of this stuff, to me, it just feels like a PR stunt, right? Um, make up social media posts. Let's say we've learned, uh, let's say we're going to do better, make a pledge to pay some money. Um, but we're not going to undo some of the policies that uh, we've created. We're not going to undo some of the things that we've done. Um, we're just going to be a pretend to be a part of that social media moment. Um, that, that's really what this feels like to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that more or less is, is like exactly what it is, right? Uh, <clears throat> when you have these companies, these places basically saying, you know, oh, hey, like we're all about this now and we know, you know, this is a moment and we all want to make comments. Um, but then you have stuff like this that lets you know that, you know, these things that, that people are dealing with, they're, they're ever present, right? And, <clears throat> you know, it can't just be cool to uh, speaking out about these things can't be trendy. And what I mean by that is it can't just be a thing that just because you see that everybody else is like, oh shit, you know, this is a moment where we're all going to speak out. You can't be like as a company, like, oh, that's the only reason why we're going to speak out is because everybody else is speaking out about it. Because that means you don't really actually give a shit about the thing so much as you care about the image of how it looks, right? PR is a, yeah. is a thing that's very real with every company, right? That's something that's real, that's ever present. How you're viewed is critical, right? But for, for situations like this, for, for moments like this, um, for, 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 uh, for these types of issues, you can't, you have to actually take a stand because you actually believe in the thing, right? It can't just be like a thing that's momentary. It's gotta be something that you, 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 uh, that you believe in through and through. Otherwise, it really is just a PR stunt. It really is just a, oh, because everybody else is saying it, which isn't helpful, you know, because that is here one moment, gone the next, right? And so, uh, you know, with... Uh, with with uh, them talking about this for for Selma about the I can't breathe T-shirts and how the Academy was basically just like yeah we don't fuck with that like you know we don't want to stir shit up, uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, you know in 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 that case, uh, I would say that the Academy very not not just like oh like we just don't want to like uh you know that's a touchy so subject and we don't want to talk about it it's it's oh yeah like we actively don't want to participate because we know that it's it's a controversial situation but then every single year that we've seen since 2014 there's uh like uh, the oscar so white movement and all this other stuff that they want to be more inclusive they had uh moonlight won best picture uh then you had green book that won one best picture uh in, in 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 different years um and they have to they they do things like that in order to appease people like hey guys aren't we with it are, are, uh did we do what we're supposed to do you know by having you know these these movies that were created by uh by black people uh did we speak to what you what you um you know or, or that have to do with black issues uh did we speak to what you what you want us to speak to and then a few years later, we're going to just see the same shit, right? Like, you know, it's just yeah. going to regress right, right back to where you think you're safe at, right? Just as long as you, in the moment when it was trendy, you spoke to, you know, these uh, these issues. So it's like, look, I, I, I'm on the wave, dude. I'm like, fuck the Oscars, dude. Like, uh, and, 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 you know, and I'm not just saying this just because of this, this one particular issue, um, but just all around it's like an apparatus like i was i was explaining to uh i was explaining to somebody yesterday how the uh the academy actually works as far as like 
that they actually people actually have to go on campaigns for when they want to like campaign for uh you know their their movie to win either best picture or whatever award it is that you want to fucking win <clears throat> it's all done like you campaign like you're you're a politician and yeah you know and th- that system just breeds corruption it does a hundred percent right uh, like like yeah. when you could buy votes you know how to, how is it not going <laughs> to breed corruption or yeah. when you could like just clearly display favoritism um, because you were campaigned to better uh, by one film better than another film, like that just breeds corruption. Um, yeah, I, you know, to your point, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, I, I definitely agree with like the institution of the Oscars. Um, if it doesn't like completely change uh, in terms of like how the campaigning or voting is done, uh, as well as like the demographics of like who's actually voting on this film, because I believe the, the the Academy members are majority of them are like older white men with a few white women in there. Um, I think. Was there no minorities on the Academy board? You know, I I, I don't know. I don't actually know. I I believe there was like no <laughs> minorities. There's just like older white men and um several other like white women. So as well as like the Foreign Press Association, right? So I think until those things are like drastically changed to where they actually say like uh, we're going to be inclusive um, and we're going to start internally, uh, you know, fuck the Oscars. Like I, I didn't watch it anyway. I I no longer think it's the staple of success. I think more important than like how whether or not your film won an oscar is like how many streams did it get how many views did it get like i think that as we move forward is going to be a much more important as well as like how much did it do in revenue i think that's going to be much more important yeah i look for me i think even if they do get more inclusive i just don't agree with the oscars with the way they they move overall so it's like i even if they do have you know some black people minorities whoever on on you know uh you know on their panel or whatever the fuck it is i don't i still don't give a shit like it's like it's all kind of like a useless process to me you know and at the end of the day it's just like they what they are are tastemakers right like they're they're the ones who set the oh like you know this is best picture and then and you know You're right. Streams do matter. All that matters. But then the Oscars bump is real, right? Like for whatever film wins best picture, best believe like Parasite, for instance, right? It just won uh, the uh, uh, best picture at the the, the last Oscars uh, earlier this year, right? Yeah, I think it was earlier this year. Um, and sure enough, you know, there, there were there was more demand for, you know, people who wanted to see Parasite. Um, and uh and, and so all I think the Oscars are, all these awards, whether it is Oscars or whether it is the Grammys or whatever the fuck it is, all they are, are tastemakers, you know, of, you know, oh, hey, like, let's let's tell people what the flavor of the month is, you know, uh, and it's just like, well, people don't fucking need you to tell them what the flavor of the month is. They can just fuck with shit on their own, you know, um, and and so I think we, we really do have to, like, decentralize the idea of something like the Oscars, you know, I'm, I'm much more in favor and looking at, like, you know, and, and and they still have some problems of their own to like, you know, film festivals of, of seeing, you know, what films come out of these festivals and shit, you know, and, and that still has a can of worms, uh, is a can of worms on its own. But, uh, but if I were to look specifically at the Oscars, I would say, nah, there's really nothing that they can do to get me back on board. Not that they really give a shit, but still, uh, you know, for, with me and my one little, you know, set of eyeballs here, uh, uh, I'm saying fuck them. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, we proceed <clears throat> and then let us know what, uh, in the comment section below, what you think of the Oscars, uh, whether you like it or not, whether you fuck with it or not, whether you think it's fucked up that they, uh, that this, uh, happened as, as far as them basically telling, uh, telling the, the, um, 
you know, the the people who made Selma that, hey, we're not going to fuck with your film because, you know, it didn't, uh, you guys wore the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. Um, yeah, let, let's know in the comments below what, uh, what what you think about that. Also, what do you think about me swallowing flies? Like, what the fuck? <coughs> Dude, my, thro my throat still doesn't feel right. I, this is fucking the weirdest shit ever. Um, but we proceed nonetheless. Um, we jump to... Uh, so next, next year... Yeah, we're going to jump into an article. This was an article from IndieWire, um, which talks about uh, basically like what's going on. Like it, a lot of you remember the whole like net neutrality thing that uh, was was pretty big in 2017. Uh, I think like the FCC. Uh, well, I think it was like under the Trump administration, right? Like they yeah. were they sought to undo net neutrality. Yeah. Um, which net neutrality in a nutshell, it like kind of control. It's like the rules and regulations of the Internet. Right. Um like who can like in terms of providers or service providers, right? Yeah. Like, um, so, so I can actually speak a little bit. It to sets that. the guidelines for it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically in a, in a very, and I, and I can just read you a part of the article here from, uh, from IndieWire. They probably can explain it way better than I could. Um, so basically it's the, it's the way that, uh, that service providers can dictate like what happens. Uh, so it's like, if you go to whatever fucking site that you want to go to, right? Uh, fucking, you know, um, I like grannies.com, right? Uh, you, you go to that site. Um, good, good pull. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair enough. Uh, it's, it's each his own. Um, uh, so, so you go to that site and that is running at basically the same data, uh, data speeds as any other site that you might go to, whether it's a Netflix or Hulu or whatever the case is, right? They're all operating under the same sort of data caps, right? Uh, or, or lack thereof, uh, as far as data caps go. But what net, uh, if you get rid of net neutrality, what that basically means is, is that if you're, if you're a service provider, you can kind of dictate what gets what, which now we're dealing with with HBO uh, as it relates to AC and T, which I believe AT and T owns HBO somehow. I don't. I don't fucking. I don't remember when that fucking happened. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I'll give you the gist of the article here. Uh, three senators have accused AT and T of ignoring net neutrality principles by not counting the use of its uh, HBO Max streaming service uh, in its uh, customers' data caps. Um, uh, AT&T data customers who use uh, competing streamers such as Netflix and Disney Plus will have that usage counted against their data caps. Um, and so the telecom giant's decision on Thursday that favors AT&T customers who use its uh, own, uh, its own streaming service, uh, which would have been illegal under net neutrality rules that Ajit uh, Pai led uh, federal uh, commissions. Federal Communications Commission uh, re, uh, repealed in 2018. Um, so yeah. basically, the article here goes on. Uh, no, I was going to say the article here goes on to give a good example, right? Uh, the uh, so eighteen eighteen T customer with one gig of data plan could stream as much HBO Max as they'd like without it contributing to their data cap. Um, but if the customers uh, were to stream content from a rival service like Netflix, Hulu, uh, Disney Plus, uh, it would contribute to their data cap, and they would be charged additional fees. Um, so, like, basically, like, what AT&T is doing here, if you use our shit, we're not going to charge you. You can stream as much as you like. If you use their shit, um, there's likely to be additional fees if you go above that data cap. Um, 
you know, so, the, you know, they're allowed to throttle as well as like dictate new rules to what that cap means. Yeah. Um, we talked about something similar to this, like uh, last week with um, Amazon potentially looking to maybe step into like the uh, the movie theater industry, right? Like, let's say Amazon were to buy uh, AMC. Uh, I think the same thing would happen there where it's like, uh, you know, Amazon Prime original films or movies showing on Amazon Prime or like distribution um companies that like feature their film through Amazon will be allowed uh, into theaters owned by Amazon, but there might be a higher price to pay for a ticket from like a Marvel or Disney or um, like, you know, MGM or Paramount. Uh, So I think this may, this gives a picture of like what's to come when there are no rules, whether with net neutrality or like in the film industry, if, if Amazon is allowed to buy a movie theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we talked about this at length when we talked about um, we we did a whole sort of series on uh, the streaming wars, right? The great streaming wars of 2020. Right. And how critical that was going to be to the like the rest of, um, you know, how we take in content, you know. Um, and w- one of the things that I voiced at that time was saying exactly this. And I look, we don't like to pat ourselves on the back here at the paid, paid podcast. And yet we do, um, very much so. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and so I remember saying that this is the one thing that people aren't looking at that's going to affect everybody and is going to be a massive fucking problem, right? Across all political spectrums, across I don't give a fuck who you are, you are going to hate this, right? Because if you're if you're not an AT and T customer, now what that means is is that okay, I can't watch Netflix uh, without worrying about my data caps. And if I pass over that data caps, that means I'm going to have to pay more. So either either Netflix or Amazon or whoever pays more to AT&T in order to like get them not to do that, or they just front that bill to the, the customer. But this is all at AT&T's benefit, right? That there's no reason why HBO Max should be held without data caps and that Netflix should be right. They, they should just be both even. You shouldn't, you either should have data caps or both or data caps or none of them. Right. Um, or at least, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm conflicting that in, in my lack of uh, tech understanding of, of exactly what's happening, but either way uh, it's fucked up uh, and it definitely shouldn't happen. And it's going to affect us all in this case of, uh, and, and especially if we all start cutting the cord, uh, a lot more, right? If a lot of people are are relying sort of wholly on the internet, um, then this issue is going to be so much more critical because if you're getting your TV, not just through cable, but through the internet, then that means that, okay, you thought, oh, I could watch Netflix or I could watch Hulu or I could watch Amazon Prime or I could watch all this stuff and not have to worry about anything else. Okay. Well, now that's not the case. Now you're going to have to pay extra in order to view those things if you want to look at them the same like in in HD, if you want to look at them without being like fucking throttled down and shit. Um, and and it, it's a massive fucking issue. Uh, and, and a complete side note, but doesn't Ajit Pai have the most punchable face you've ever fucking seen in your life? Like... Like, uh, I'm not, you know, you know, my, my mom raised me well and she, she raised me not to hate anybody. Uh, you know, uh, but I'm afraid that I've, I've never met Ajit Pai and probably never will, you know, we never crossed paths, but I just, he just looks like somebody who I just want to punch. He just, you know, him in the stupid fucking Reese's cup 
cup that he's fucking using the oversized piece of shit that that it you know that he's holding um yeah this guy definitely looks like an asshole yeah um there is one other like a uh, uh, little excerpt from the article that i want to uh, um mention here sure. so like re- recently uh an at executive um had uh, told said in this publication that like the reason how AT&T is able to do this or how HBO Max is able to do this is that like uh, HBO Max, which is owned by AT&T, is using HB, uh, AT&T's sponsored data services, right? Which essentially allows the company, uh, which allows companies to pay AT&T to excuse their services um, from AT&T's data cap. Now, uh, again, H- HBO Max is owned by AT&T, so HBO Max is essentially using this uh, sponsored data program for free, right? Uh, whereas a company like Netflix or like Hulu would have to pay AT&T um, for that service. Uh, the only companies that are like using this, AT- this AT&T ser- uh, sponsored data service are DirecTV, UVerse, um, and this other thing called Fullscreen, which are also owned by AT&T. So at and is basically creating rules for themselves, right? They're like, we've got this sponsored data program that all of our companies are using. And through that program, we're going to ignore data caps. Um, and for other companies like Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon to, uh, to, to use that service where their caps will be ignored, they're going to have to pay us more, right? So either they pay us, either the customers pay for additional fees or, you know, Marvel or Disney or whatever is going to be able to buy into the service and they can pay us. But either way, Amazon is, or I'm sorry, AT&T is kind of like rigging the game. So they get paid either way, either the users are going to have to pay or the companies are going to have to buy into the service. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is like somewhat of a monopoly or not that AT&T is the only service provider, but like they're, 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 they're rigging the game. Well, well, it's not that they're the only service provider, but it is a case where now everybody's going to be going to their neutral corners. So if you're an ISP, if you're somebody who owns, um, you know, the, the ability for, and then, and then what's worse is if you're an internet service provider, well, now whether you own a Netflix or whether you own a Hulu, who gives a shit, right? You're going to be charging for everybody. So if those companies don't pay up, then you're going to throttle their services. Um, and uh, and so somebody's going to be paying for that. Either the customer is going to be paying in order to be able to see fucking Netflix or Hulu or whatever the case is, or the company's going to be paying for it. Either way, you're going to be getting money on top of what people are already paying you for the actual service itself. And so... It's it's insanity, uh, and and uh, you know, I don't understand. You know, I think I think um, one of the things that I'm the the ways that I'm on right now is just like, yo, we we as people we tend to like give power up like this, and just like it just happens in the middle of the night, and then we're just all just like, yeah, whatever, you know, and then we only react when it actually affects like the thing that we want. Like, so when somebody goes on to Netflix and it's not fucking working for them, they're going to be wondering, Oh, what the fuck is going on? And then they find out, Oh shit, all this shit happened. And net neutrality is a thing. And then, you know, they're going to go down a rabbit hole of like how this ended up being, but it's just like, yo, we can do something about it now, you know? And of course it's, it's a little late since, you know, Ajapai and the FCC is, it, it is what it is, but yeah. yo, we can get Trump the fuck out of there in order to, at the very minimum, deal with this fucking issue, right? Like, everybody can get on it on, on board with this, like, that this is fucked up and that we don't want this to be the case, right? There isn't a single person, I think, uh, you know, a single, like, 
person who's on any end of this political spectrum that's like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. Like, no, this is a bad idea for everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know what I think any whoever, st- well, you know, it's either going to be Joe Biden or Trump, right? Um, Joe Biden, <clears throat> if he wins uh, the, the election, which I hope he does, um, not because I love Joe Biden. I'm a huge Joe Biden supporter just because I know he's not as he's less corrupt than Donald Trump. Right. And I think that's that's a fair start. Um, but there's just so much stupid shit to undo. Right. I think Trump has spent the majority of his presidency trying to undo anything Obama accomplished um, or tried to do. And Joe Biden or whoever uh, or Joe Biden, if he wins the presidency, is going to have to do a lot of the dumb shit that Trump undid. Uh, or that Trump did, and I don't know if he can fix all of them, like at least like within his first term, right? There's net neutrality. There's trying to like get, uh, and obviously COVID nineteen didn't help. There's trying to get unemployment uh, employment rates back up. There's um, you know financial different crises that are happening in a lot of different industries. So whoever steps into the office next is going to have a big job to do, and I wonder where net neutrality is going to be on that list. Yeah, uh, I, I would have to say it has to be towards the top because in order to get information, in order to, it's not just about watching videos and shit. It's about actual like access to information. And so if you limit people's ability to do that, well, all right, well, that's that's the entire game, right? If you limit people's ability to like look shit up and find shit out for themselves, well, well, now you can create whatever fucking narrative you want to create, right? So if you're uh, uh, a conservative administration, now you can, you know, th- throttle all of the uh, all of the uh, liberal sites. If you're a liberal site, well, now you can throttle all the conservative sites and and let your shit run rampant. You know, uh, it, it's 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 a fucked up thing for everybody, and it's critical that we all have access to information and access to the shit that we need and want. You know, and so I think it it. You know, it might not be at the top of the list, but it's definitely, it's definitely like at in the top five, six things that he should do first thing at, you know, as soon as he gets into office. And I don't know how it all takes you loose as far as like, you know, how, how, you know, whether he has to put together, appoint people to the FCC and all that other stuff. I don't know how the fuck that, that shit happens, but, uh, but all I know is this shit needs to happen and it needs to happen fucking quick. Uh, otherwise we're all fucked. Um, and yeah. so, uh, so yeah, let, let's jump into our, our last, um, story here. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, as DJ Khaled would say, we've got another one. Ladies and gentlemen, we have indeed another press play. Uh, so uh, we uh, we took a look at the film uh, Becky, um, which you know I think everybody had a very specific idea of what the film was going to be about before they even saw any sort of trailer. I think everybody was like, uh, "Is Beyonce in this? She might be. I don't know." Um, <laughs> And so, uh, so anyways, let me give you uh, the quick synopsis of the film before we jump into it. Uh, a teenager's weekend at a lake house uh, with her father takes a turn for the worse when a group of convicts um, wreaks havoc on their lives. Uh, this this film was directed by Jonathan Milot uh, and Carrie uh, Mirnon, 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 um, and written by Nick uh, Morris, Ruckus Sky, and Elaine Sky. Uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, let's just, uh, let's just jump into it. Let's talk about via the plot. Uh, what did you think about the plot for the film Becky? 
So I thought the plot itself wasn't like, you know, it wasn't particularly uh, exciting mm-hmm. in any way, right? Um, you know, a, a teenager's week in a lake house with their father turns, you know, has a turn for the worst. Um, there's nothing like forward thinking about this, right? Some escape convicts, um, you know, go back to this house where they have something hidden that they need and this family is there and, you know, it, things go south, right? Um, honestly, <clears throat> the plot itself, I, I wasn't too uh, impressed by. However, what I was impressed by was like the uh, the characters, right? Um, the writing, the writing, the interactions between the characters and how you take like a, a very basic plot um, and you, in a sense, like kind of create something exciting out of what is not very exciting, right? You know, taking lemons and making lemonade. Um, I, I wish I had more to say about the plot. It's just not that exciting. When, once we get into talking about the characters, um, you know, some of our big winners, uh, you know, some of the some of the moments throughout the movie, I think that's where it gets really exciting. Uh, yeah, I can sort of uh, I can sort of say the same thing uh, that the plot itself wasn't uh, that uh, that terribly sort of like. Uh, interesting to to say the least it was very basic uh so basically uh you have this girl becky she um she uh she and her dad are going to this lake house uh and she's kind of dealing with some traumatic stuff from her mom passing away from cancer and so uh and it's it kind of shows at the beginning the uh the duality of the things that she's going through along with these dudes that are in prison. Now the dudes that are in prison who end up breaking loose are actually neo-Nazis. And so Kevin James, of course, plays, uh, and I I don't, I don't have his name right here in front of me, but, um, but he plays one of the neo-Nazis. In fact, I think the head neo-Nazi. And, uh, and so uh, at the beginning of the film sort of shows like the duality between, um, between their lives. Um, And, uh, and then basically things just kind of take a very sort of linear path from there in terms of like, you know, Becky, uh, as well as her dad and then her dad's like new fiance, they show up to the lake house. Uh, and then soon thereafter, these, uh, these need Nashi show, show up looking for this key. Uh, now it's very interesting that the key, it's never really explained what the key actually does, uh, what it opens and specifically what it does, but it's a kind of alluded to what, uh, what, what it might, um, you know, might entail. But anyways, they're looking for this key. Becky has the key and, uh, you know, wackiness ensues in terms of uh, it's kind of like uh, neo-Nazis meet Home Alone is uh, essentially like the premise for the film. Essentially. Basically. Uh, <laughs> um, and so it's it's not overly complicated, even a little bit. Um, and one would say it's even lacking in some areas. I thought that the plot was uh, very simplistic, almost too simplistic um and not very sort of like gratifying um as far as like being able to like understand what's going on um what i thought was interesting was sort of like again like the 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 parallels that they try to show between becky and where she stands and where these these dudes uh who who uh come to uh to to essentially like hem up her family you know in terms of where they what directions they're coming from um and it also kind of showed like the plot showed like how hate begets hate. Right. So because like the, these, you know, these dudes show up and they basically come, come in guns a blazing. Um, it, it ignites something within Becky 
that is also dark and primal and you know um and and so uh and so what i thought was interesting about the plot was when becky at the end she still has the key she basically lies to the people who you know are doing an investigation of what happened she lies to them and say oh they were looking for some coin when really they were looking for this key and she has the key basically around her neck and so i i took it as like the 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 key sort of representing like sort of like hatred and and the 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 sort of like the epitome of it and that because she did like these evil things you know one would say in, in killing these dudes although you know one could think about the ethics of killing somebody who's trying to kill you uh who are just shitbags overall um but it's sort of like whatever hate that they had in their hearts she also now has in hers uh because of not only because of her mom dying but her dad dying um and general sort of like fucked upness that uh that is her life so i thought i thought that was kind of interesting about the plot but i don't really think that they spent a whole lot of time there trying to help us like understand that uh so yeah I think you make a good point there. I think for me, like the the plot would have been a little bit more interesting if like they went a little bit further into that part of like what the key represents or like what trauma or hate in this movie represents and kind of create that paradigm or that duality between how like the character Becky as well as um, uh, Kevin James character, his name was, what was his name? Yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, Dominic. Uh, Dominic about like how maybe these two characters aren't that far apart um, <clears throat> and they're just like small different like little experiences that happen in their lives which like separate them but how like they're not that different um, I wish I would have the movie would have dived more into that but I, I don't think that's what this movie's purpose was right not every movie has to be like this deep inspection or examination into like the nuances of life and uh, decisions blah 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 some movies could just be about like hey like this is here's this thing that's happening these guys broke out of uh jail they want to get this key the key means something represents something and there's this little girl who's in their way who turns out to be like a badass that we didn't expect her to be yeah. i think that's what this movie is really about yeah uh yeah i did all that um and, and so <laughs> let's uh let's jump into the characters uh who was your uh you know, who'd you like? Who'd you not like? Who's your MVP? Who's your runner up? Yada, yada. I'm going to start with my runner up here. I got to go with uh, my man, Ty, who's a actor by the name of Isaiah Rockliffe, who plays like the, the, the young boy um, in this movie, who is the son of what's that woman's name? I don't see her in the IMDB list here. Damn. Like his mom. Black women can't get a break. Right, they didn't even put her on IMDb, and she—I'm not gonna say she was like a significant character. No, she was a pretty significant like, character in the movie. She wasn't like the small. Yeah, where's Ty's mom? Happy mother. Yeah, they don't even have her in here at all. That's fucked up. Anyway, so Ty is the young kid who uh, his mom is uh, Joe McHale or Jeff's love interest, who's come to spend the weekend with uh, Jeff and Becky at this like lakefront house that they have. Um, so in this movie, you know, he did exactly what I would hope my daughter would do in this oh, type of situation. Her name was uh, Amanda Bruegel, by the way. Um, Amanda Bruegel. Oh, you know what? She's right there. Yeah. I don't, Kayla was her character. Yeah. So Ty is Kayla's son. He did exactly what I hope my daughter would do in a situation like this. Hey, yo, let's both shut the fuck up. Let's <laughs> play it cool. Let's try and figure out a way out of this. I don't need no panicking. I don't need no screaming and crying. You know what I mean? You know, I'm going to slide this little 
little 38 to you. If shit goes popping, you just start shooting, bow, bow, hit the back door. I'm going to meet you on the other side. We'll get out of this clean. Uh, so, you know, he and he's just my runner because I thought it was funny. He didn't really do shit. I don't really think he had any like significant lines in this movie. But I do, I do as a son, yeah, he was a writer. He got a fucking A. He was a writer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was there. He played it cool. Yeah. He didn't trip. He was like, "Listen, we gonna find our way out of this." Yeah, um, yeah. He did. He yeah. He he didn't like you know. Usually with characters like that, you know, mommy, what's going on? You know, what's exactly, happening? Exactly. Yeah. Nah, none of that. He was just like, "Hey, what you need me to do? What you? I got you. What you need me to? Uh, exactly. You need me to trip somebody real quick? I got you. Yeah, strip them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so proceed. I didn't mean to cut you. No worries. No. Um. No. No. And that's exactly where I was. That where I was going. Uh. My the loser for for me in this movie would be Joel McHale. Um, yeah, I think that like you know maybe it's just the way his character was written, maybe it's the way his character was directed, but like there just didn't really the connection between him and his daughter for me it just it wasn't there. I didn't, and obviously they were going through uh, you know a, a traumatic experience together, but I still didn't get that like father daughter connection. Right? Um, again, I do realize that she was. You know, the daughter, Becky, was fighting that connection, right? She was uh, at this kind of like war within herself and at, uh, war with her father. But I just didn't feel their relationship. Uh, and I also didn't feel the relationship between Joel McHale and Amanda Bruegel's character, Jeff and Kayla. Uh, I, I, their relationship didn't come across on screen as well. It just kind of felt like, it, you know, it was just like it was just happening, like, yeah, they met a year ago. They're getting remarried. That's a part of the story. You know, like, all right, here's the rest. Um, none of it really sold for me. And I think that's just because uh, jo of Joe McHale's character. Again, it could be the writing. It could be his acting. It could be the direction. Whatever it was, he would have to be the loser for me in this film. Uh, the winner, uh, it was a toss-up between uh, Kevin James as Dominic, who I think he did a great job in this movie. Like, you know, he played this role surprisingly well. We're used to seeing him as a funny guy, right? But like the beard, the huge Nazi swastika on his on on the back of his head, uh, he made you like kind of uncomfortable. And you know, after a while, I bought into his character, right? Like I no longer was looking at him as oh, that's Kevin James, you know, like uh, you know he's a comedian, right? I was he sold me on the character, so I think he did a great job there. Uh, but obviously, the winner here for me goes to uh, Becky herself. Played by um, what is what is her fucking name? What's Becky's name? Lulu oh, yeah, Wilson. Yeah, Lulu Wilson. Sorry, <laughs> fall asleep. With yes, the uh, no worries. Uh, so uh, played by Lulu Wilson. I think she um, plays this young girl going through this traumatic experience. Now who's thrown into this, uh, you know, other more traumatic experience with these like criminals in her house, right? And like. Uh, she leans into it, right? She's obviously, uh, she obviously has some things going on, right? With the loss of her mother. Um, she maybe has like an inclination to violence because of the loss of her mother. Um, and in this moment, she doesn't run away from that. Like she leans into it. She's like, all right, here's an opportunity for me to be who I am or who I've become given the loss of my mother. She played the character well. She sold it. I think her delivery of certain lines were really interesting. Um, I think like she has a good on-screen presence. Um you know, all of those like action fight scenes, like she sold it to me, right? Like, you know, like this stuff could have really happened. Uh, so she's my big winner here. So great acting, sold the character, good like presence on camera. Um, really interesting the way she played this character as well.
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think my list kind of differs from yours a little bit. I think my, I, I, I really didn't even, here's how much disrespect I, I kind of gave his character. Like I didn't even like care to even give him like my biggest loser, uh, Joel McHale, because it's like, uh, or what's his name? Uh, it's um, Joel McHale. I don't know why I said Joe, Joe um, as Jeff, uh, who's Becky's father in this case, uh, because he was so sort of like, he wasn't really like there. He was just he was just there because there was like a, and 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 I, this is I don't even think the the problem is him. I think the problem was like it was just a miscast person for that particular role. Um, what yeah. you needed was somebody to deliver like a lot of emotion in a very short and crisp amount of time because he, his character actually doesn't really give that much like screen time, um, but he needed to like deliver something in those few moments. Uh, to make us like, oh, to sink, to pull us in, you know? And Joe McHale, I, I just don't think that is the person to do that. He's kind of like the sarcastic, witty person that can get emotional, but it's only after you've built up like an understanding of him that you realize that, okay, those subtleties that he changes when he is being emotional, you appreciate more because he's so sarcastic and stuff that it's it's a huge departure. But if you don't give us that sarcasm and stuff beforehand, we just see him as like, oh, Okay, I guess he's just unemotional then. Um, so I do think it's a miscast. I think it, it may be one of those kind of stunt casting, not stunt cast, st casting, but like one of those like, okay, well, we need somebody else in this film uh, outside of Kevin James to like really like sell the film. Joe McHale said he'll do it. So let's get him, you know, like that maybe like the best that was, you know, it was the best that was available for them. So whatever. I'm not hating him for that. Whatever. He doesn't even get on my list because it's, he was so like not a factor in the film um no again no disrespect to joe McHale himself i do appreciate his work but just not in this particular case um but uh who gets my other biggest loser or who gets my actual biggest loser is uh, is actually kevin james i thought he didn't do that well in this film uh usually when you could take like i i would use jim carrey as, as like the perfect example when you take somebody who's um you know, in the comedy world and they transfer it to the dramatic world or at least horror world or whatever the case is, sometimes you can get some really fucking great results, right? Like, so you take Jim Carrey, although it's, everybody kind of makes fun of the movie, but like, uh, I remember watching Cable Guy thinking, holy shit, uh, or even 23 or like, you know, any number of Jim Carrey movies that, you know, and maybe even uh, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great movies that aren't really comedic movies, but um, but they asked him to do something very different with those movies. Um, but with Kevin James, I just thought that they made his character so, um, they took the teeth out of the character. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like they, it's like they wrote the character in mind of, okay, we need somebody to do X, Y, or Z. And then once they got Kevin James, they were just like, Oh well, we we have to protect his image a little bit, so let's like draw back from the character, from what the character was like originally supposed to be. Because and 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 I and I'll and I'll and I'll say this to you: outside of the swastika on his head, what led you to believe that he was a neo-Nazi? Um, I mean, obviously the swastika is a is a big thing, mm -hmm. and for me, it wasn't necessarily his like Nazi affiliation that he sold to me. It was like his uh, his like inclination towards like the violence like he's willing to kill any one of these people if he gets that key um the key for me was like the the key to me seemed like the motivation for him um not as much his like wanting to like purify the race or whatnot 
Yeah, but the the problem with that for, is for me it was like his presence. I think he sold it to me with his presence, not necessarily like the the lines he was given or how he delivered that lines. He he had a really good presence on film for me, like as this character. Yeah. Uh, so it would have been better if they never even mentioned that he was a neo Nazi. Like that's I, I think that's the point that I'm trying to make is is that if 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 you're gonna make that such a big part of the movie, like in the in the trailer, it's striking. You see the the tattoo on the side of, uh, on the back of his head. And you think, oh my gosh, like this is Kevin James, like we've never seen Kevin James before, which it kind of was a little bit, but also not like full throttle. Oh, if he's dropping n bombs, you know, and you know, making comments here and there, okay, that's something I've never, I never thought I'd see from Kevin James. But this is like, okay, he shot somebody in the leg, and he was kind of willing to kill a little girl. That's pretty much like, yeah. you know, all it really was. And so it's like, you can do all that without having a huge swastika attack to you on the back of his head, which makes you wonder like the whole time of like, oh shit, like he's a neo-Nazi. And that becomes like a, like they made it, a, they made it a point that it was a thing we didn't as the audience, you know? So it's like, you have this thing that's like a, clearly like a big factor within the movie, but then you just never address it at all. Like yeah. even remotely. So, so you're saying they could have like built up his character for you to like, as a viewer, realize that, oh, he's a neo-Nazi instead of putting the huge tattoo on the back of his head. Yeah. Or he, vice versa. Like may, maybe he has the tattoo on the, his, on the back of his head and he doesn't necessarily ever really come out and say he's a neo-Nazi, but like through his actions and his behavior. He leads you to know that this is, this is who I am. He never, nobody's ever yeah. going to explicitly say, oh, that's who you are. But you like through his actions, you can tell, oh shit, like, you know, this guy's, you know, his from his tattoo and the way that he's uh, talking, you know, oh, like this is who this guy is. But it's it, again, it's it's like they 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 were go they were willing enough to show the tattoo, but they weren't willing to have him actually say the words and do the things that would you would associate with somebody, especially if you run up on an internet uh, interracial couple, like you know, like and then yeah. to say nothing, like it's just like all right, well, I guess that was just there. Um, anyways, so so he's kind of my biggest loser just because of the fact, not because of his actual performance, but because it it felt like they wrote the character differently from what maybe they were and i'm completely speculating of course but like it, it seems like they wrote the character a certain way and then once they found out it was kevin james they kind of were like ah we gotta like we gotta pg this Got up a little, back bit. a little bit yeah um and so uh and again might be completely wrong about that but who knows uh of course my 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 winner from this has to be lulu wilson holy shit dude terrifying she's fucking terrifying like i would never like even as like i know this is a movie i would never want to be friends with her in person like i just she scares the shit out of me um and and honestly this is where great casting actually you know takes place and i you yeah. know it's hard to believe that somebody could do the same thing you know and and you know cast kevin james in this but then you know and again maybe that wasn't even the person's or, or i'm sorry i meant joel McHale in this case who seemed like he was like such a weird casting for this particular role but then have lulu wilson who holy shit perfect casting because yo just her fucking eyes like there's something about her eyes it's just like yo i don't want to if i'm ever left in a room alone with you i don't feel right like i just i need to leave immediately you know <laughs> like, like uh there's just something about her that's just like holy shit like you you just you you kind of are scared of her uh, a, a little bit um and so I, I thought it was perfect casting and she did a, a fucking fantastic job. She blew it out of the water as far as hitting all the notes that I think she was supposed to hit uh, and, and, and really sort of playing up this sort of like, she's kind of the hero of the, of the story, but kind of like not of the hero of the story at the same time. And, and that yeah. she's kind of just crazy. And, and I think that, you know, 
who knows like if she would have led to like all that violence if if they didn't start the violence but i think maybe you suspect that violence was in her future with or without the, you know them a part of this um you could even tell from when she's kind of destroying the uh her like little clubhouse there like without uh before all of this sort of started with the uh, with the people with the dudes taking over um and and i would actually like to give a shout out to um to uh damn what's the dude's name um he's a dude that was actually in oh man he's like he's like a he used to be a pro wrestler and um and he was in a oh, film yeah, I, I know who you're talking about he was in like the uh the longest yard with adam sandler yeah yeah um, yeah that I, big guy and i've i've uh, like as everybody knows like i've i've gone back and i've watched uh 90s you know all the 90s wrestling and during this whole quarantine time and uh and i just got to the part where he was uh where he's in it and uh and so it was just like a surprise like oh shit there he is like after all these years he's still uh he's still working uh, his name is uh his name is robert uh millet he plays apex yeah um and so uh so you know shout out to him real quick uh i don't know if he necessarily did a great job in the film but uh but shout out to him nonetheless uh yeah. all right uh and and i should i should also mention that the casting by credit uh on the film is sarah k as well as jenny lewis uh all right moving on to the cinematography what did we think about the cinematography for the film who was uh the credit for that is greta uh zozulu is the uh, cinematographer right. of the film so I love the cinematography, especially like the, in the opening scene of the movie um, where and I think you alluded to this earlier, where like they're showing the duality of, you know, uh, a child's experience in high school and kind of comparing that to, uh, you know, uh, inmates experience in prison. Right. And they do that through like motion of the camera where it feels like they're just doing a single pan, but instead. So instead of just like a hard cut from one scene to another, it feels like the camera is just shifting and it's panning from like one view to the other. And it's like panning from prison to high school, prison to high school. Um, I, I felt like that was a great way to show, to show me that you're trying to tell me about how these environments are very similar versus just telling me. Um, so I love the use of, of camera and motion then. Um, Throughout some of the other pieces in the movie, I did like how it wasn't as, like for example, as Becky like moves through the woods, right? Like you get the environment because of how they use a the camera. You can tell there was like someone with like a, um, not a mounted or stationary camera, um, but like one of those motion cameras, like following her through the woods. Um, I don't think they did anything particularly bold or dynamic uh, in this, but I do love how throughout the movie and st in several scenes, they gave you the sense of like duality. Like these things are happening all at the same time. It, we're not going to chop it up. We're not going to cut it. We're just going to show you, how, uh, we're going to let you feel that a lot of these things are <clears throat> happening at the same time through our use of camera motion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think camera motion was a big thing in the film. I actually didn't care for some of the transitions early on and not necessarily the transitions you're talking about where they kind of go from, you know, her at school to the prison and all that stuff that, that I was fine with, but it's kind of like some of the, I sometimes hate the crossfade transitions that, uh, that they do, uh, in the film because it's like, I don't know, it just felt a little out of place to me. Uh, but you know, that's just maybe my own, you know, preference and it's not like good or bad or doesn't uh, yeah it's just my own, own opinion um but uh what i actually really liked about the film was um 
I, I liked how you, you were saying like that they basically made you feel like things were happening at the same time. Like one of the specific uh, moments in the film that I can uh, point to is, is that when she's having the initial conversation with Kevin James's character um, about, uh, about the key and, um, and she's kind of just being a, kind of like a smart ass and it's showing like that they're, you know, it, it basically showed them in the same place without actually being in the same place. And it showed them like basically yeah. like looking at each other without them actually looking at each other. So I thought that was a, that was a nice kind of accent to it. Uh, it was a really good way to kind of chop that scene up and, and, and to, to, to like boil it down to them too, like that we, we knew like, and of course, like basically from the beginning of the movie, we knew it was going to come down to those two, but it really sort of like help sort of like bring that into crystal focus of like, okay, this is kind of a war between them. Um, and that, uh, and it also furthered again, like the, the whole sort of like the comparison between them, you know, that they're kind of the same, you know, as much as they might have a lot of things different, they're kind of the same in, in some ways. Um, the other thing that I can clearly point to is holy shit, a lot of gore. There's uh, there's so much fucking gore in this film. <laughs> um, so much so that it's like, it wasn't hard to watch, but it also is kind of, uh, you get a little squeamish at certain points of like, fuck, like when, you know, uh, and again, you should not be watching this if you have not watched the film, but, um, uh, but when Kevin James, when he gets his eye gouged out, that was hard to watch. I couldn't, uh, and then how he takes care of it. It's just like, yeah, that part was was crazy. No. Yeah. That's not, uh, that's not, uh, I don't want to see that. That's not, that's not helping me sleep at night. Um, and so, so yeah, it was just a really gory film, which I, which I feel like was kind of welcomed a little bit, you know, if you're, if we're doing a, a spin on like a home alone, um, you know, I think that gore is, is going to have to take place. Like if we think back to home alone was kind of a gory film in and of itself, you know, you got people's scalps being burned off and shit and fucking like stepping on like thumbtacks and, and shit. There's a lot of shit that happened in Home Alone that's like, oh, that's that's not that's not pretty. Um, yeah, this movie definitely does like take it to the next level. Like particularly the first scene, the first uh, guy she kills um, when the character Becky stabs and kills the guy Cole out in the woods <clears throat> with the ruler. <clears throat> and like just when you thought she was done stabbing him, she comes back and she like stomps on the ruler that's already like through his neck. All, so hard that the ruler like goes through the back of his neck and down into the ground, which just gives you like an idea of like how much force and anger and violence was and like rage was like filled was uh, in her character at that time. So definitely <clears throat> a more gory uh, Home Alone. Uh, but I liked it. You know, again, uh, I think Lulu Wilson did great here. Do you know what's interesting though? So she was born in 2005, which means she's like, what, 25? No. No, no. Yeah, so, I was like, um, what? <laughs> no, no. no, no. Sorry. She was born in 2005. So she's like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Um, in this movie, I think she's playing like a, what, 13 year old or something like Somewhere that. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, she definitely, I don't know. Like she like seems a lot older. And I guess that's because in this show, her character like had to like mature really quickly and make some like adult decisions. Um, but towards the end of the movie, she started to feel like much older. 
Well, yeah, I think it's because you you feel some of the weight of her choices and the fact that she's whooping all these. And that's, that's actually something I was going to say next is, is that at no point during the film, sometimes with films like this, you, and I think you would be the first person to say this, and it's surprising that you didn't say it. And I, and I think that's just a testament to what I'm about to say is that you never really feel at any point that she's not capable of doing anything that she actually did. And I think that's sometimes where some films like this kind of run amok is just like sometimes you're like ah oh, that's not believable everything she did you're like no that shit could happen like you know yeah. um like where she she first you know with the guy with the ruler like you know she basically she basically like sneaks up on him because she like throws the coin and he goes to look for the coin and then she rides down like a fucking zip line and rocks him you know kicks him in the back of like the head or some shit um and then she just immediately starts like stabbing him in every place that she could stab him and so by the time he gets up he's just like i don't know what the fuck's happening my spine doesn't feel good anymore <laughs> you know so there's yeah. like no way for him to really fight back because she does this kind of like sneak attack um and you don't feel at that point and, and then yeah. go no 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 sorry go ahead no, I was going to say, and a lot of times you wouldn't think like a 14, 13, 14 year old girl would be capable of that. But like with her and her character, it's like how quickly she moved, how quickly she made certain decisions, like over time in the movie, like you just start to accept it. Like she's more than capable of this. Like she can, she can kill all of these guys well, um, well, if she's smart about it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even think it's because it's like, oh, she's 14. She's a girl. Like you don't think that. I think it's just like, there's nothing that she does that you're just like, it's out of the realm of like possibility to do, right? Like it's different if she took the dude and power slammed him, like, you know, put him in like a, a figure four submission lock. And then we were like, all right, well, I don't know if this is possible, right? Um, but it was like, she did everything like basically like it, it was all believable. Like where she snuck up on the dude, she stabbed him a few times. And then he was like, I don't know what's going on. And then she stabbed him the last time and just kept stomping him. Um, and then yeah. uh, with the other guy, she used like a trip wire to trip him up. Um, and then I forget exactly how she even killed that dude. Uh, the, the, the bigger uh, guy. So remember he, he, uh, so the guy, he fell into the water, he couldn't swim. And then she like basically cut him up with the boat propeller. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's believable, you know, um, and so, uh, and then when you get to Kevin James's character, it's not like she like duked it out with them. She just basically set them on fire, <laughs> you know? Um, and so all those things are like, okay, these are all very believable things. And so I think that's what I appreciated about the film is, is that it, it made everything believable from that standpoint of like, she's, she's more than capable of, of doing all those things that she, uh, that they, they showed her doing. Um, yeah. which is, which is really dope. Uh, and so, all right, let's, let's move on to the, uh, the last thing here. Uh, what do we think about the music, the soundtrack, the score, all that stuff, uh, who the music by credit on this is, uh, Nima, uh, Fakara, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, other than the song that uh, the character Becky sings in this movie, um, I don't really think or for me, at least the music wasn't like a huge factor. Um, there's so much going on in, in this movie to pay to uh, to pay attention to other than the music. The only time the music really stood out for me was like in the initial car ride um, where like Joe, Joe McCare's character and Becky are in the car together and she's kind of like flipping through the radio station and um, it lands on like this, this like a uh, hip hop song that they play as she as they pull up to the house at, uh, by the lake. Um, that's the only, but I don't even know if that like song was really meant to symbolize anything, right? Because like she was just kind of like randomly flipping through the radio stations to uh, like to piss her father off. Uh, so again, I don't, I don't know if that song really means anything, but I think it was just like, an it, it made this scene, it made that moment feel like what could have been a father-daughter relationship, it made it feel a little bit more light and interesting. 
Um, other than that, the music for me didn't <clears throat> stand out. And that's not always a bad thing, right? Sometimes the movie is supposed to be like, you know, if you're watching A Star is Born, the music is is as much a character as uh, uh, Bradley, uh, what's his name? Bradley Cooper. Uh, Bradley Cooper and uh, Lady Gaga. But in a movie like this, again, there are a lot of other things that are more important. The storyline, the characters, their interactions. So the music did what it was supposed to do. It was added to the film without like standing over it or, or being too big of a uh, uh, too big of a presence. So um, whoever, uh, you know, the person who did the, the score for this, you know, good job. It wasn't bad. It didn't stand out too much. Um, and then it only added to like the scenes. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I'd have to disagree with you a little bit. Uh, I think that uh, at times the actual music didn't really like fit the actual movie itself. Um, so like the score at times, like, so, so for instance, and one of the, the, one of the main times that I can I'm talk, uh, you know, talk about is like when they first get to like the lake and, uh, she's just walking through the woods at times it's like so ominous that you're kind of just like, why is it so, like, is something happening right now, you know, that, that, you know, we should be like aware of. And I feel like they did that maybe one too many times throughout the movie where it's like a scene that doesn't really like require this ominous, like, you know, kind of, um, um, you know, uh, score to it, um, that it, that it sort of had it. And, and so I was kind of like confused as to what kind of like atmosphere they were, they were trying to paint because like, you know, she clearly was going through something. She clearly was kind of like off kilter just to begin with. But, you know, I think I would think you would want to show like, okay, this lake house is kind of like a, it's a, it's a, it's a happy place, you know, or like it's a, it's a, it's a better place, especially when she found out, oh, they're going to keep it. Um, you want to give it like a little bit of a lighter tone so that like when you get to the part where she's you know, fucking murking dudes, you know, then you can layer on with the fucking, you know, with the, with the, the, the heavy tones and in, in, in this, in the score. Um, but I think that they, they kind of started out with those ominous tones early and you're kind of just like, it didn't, it didn't feel appropriate for the actual specific scenes. Um, so I think that they might've misfired at least, at least for me, they, they misfired a little bit for that. Uh, but then you're right. Like for the rest of the film, I think they're, they're pretty spot on as far as like, you know, having you feel the things they want you to feel at the exact moments that they want you to feel it. Um, it was just few moments like that, that I was talking, uh, that, that I, I, I can say that, uh, that kind of, um, wasn't, no, no, wasn't I, I think you, you highlighted it. I think you highlighted a good thing there. I mean, there could have been a little bit more contrast in between like the times when she's alone, when she's walking through the woods, when she's kind of like uh, to herself or when she's like strategizing to figure out right, how am I going to like get out of this situation um, against like those like more action packed fight sequences and so on. There could have been a little bit more contrast there. Um, but, but again, I, I will say for me, at least there was so much going on in this movie that uh for me the music didn't take away from any of those scenes like the, the, the scene in the woods any of the action sequences uh because there was so much great sound in this movie uh and i think sound was amplified in this movie based off of the setting right they're not like in in, in the city somewhere they're out in the woods so you want to hear like the crackling of the leaves you want to hear like the sounds of her running through the woods you want to hear like uh you know th those things that just kind of like amplify whatever sequence is happening um, 
not as much the music. So, uh, but I know I think you do make a great good point there. There could have been a little bit more contrast. Yeah. Um, so, lastly, uh, any closing thoughts about the movie? What do you? What is your your closing thoughts of uh, uh, about the movie, Becky? Uh, on the surface, I think this is a good movie. It's um, you know it it's it gives you what you're ex- not necessarily what you're expecting, but it gives you like a mouthful, right? Um, after you watch this movie, I don't think you're going to be uh, unhappy. I don't think you're going to be angry that you watched it. It's not one of those movies where you're going to walk away from it thinking like, Oh, that was a waste of my time. I think you're going to have gotten a pretty good story. Some really interesting action, um, a really interesting character in Becky. Um, and on the surface, this is a really, uh, I'm not going to say a really good movie, but it was, a, it was a really good watch. Like I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, so, you know, if anybody were to ask me, I would, I would recommend this movie for sure. Press play on this. Um, I don't I don't really have anything bad to say about the movie. Again, just because it was what it was supposed to be. Just an interesting story, an interesting film. And I think it accomplished that. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I can kind of say about the film is, is that, uh, you know, this was uh, this was an experiment of like what happens if, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Malone or whatever. What, what is his name uh, on Home Alone? Uh, uh, Kevin James. Kevin, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, Kevin. Uh, uh, damn. Uh, yeah, I Mc, forgot McCullen. Mc... Yeah, it's Kevin. Something like the McCullens. Yeah, wh- whatever yeah. his name on Home Alone. Uh, if he, uh, if he just, you know, uh, suffered from severe uh, mental health issues, which it, there's argument he probably did, you know, doing all that crazy ass shit. <laughs> but uh, but what if he went off the deep end and just start murking people? Um, you know, this is exactly what would happen, you know? Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, I thought for what it was worth, it was good. Uh, you know, I, I was watching with somebody else and, and, you know, after they were like, hey, so like, what did you think about it? Did you, and like, they were more like, they didn't really like it too much. There were no surprises. There were no, and I was like, yeah, I don't think there was meant to be a surprise. I think it it was what it was, like it, you know. And yeah. so, um, and so I think that the film kind of it picked the lane and it just went super hard in that direction. That it was really wanted to highlight, you know, just like the gore factor, as well as just like the whole, you know, Becky just kind of being just a kind of a little bit of a psychopath, <laughs> uh, but a psychopath that we were kind of you know that we were cheering for. Um, uh, and, uh, and it added in a little bit of stuff here and there, but, uh, not enough to, I think, you know, really like make you think that this was, oh my God, this is a genius story. Uh, so, so yeah, all in all, yeah, we press play on the film. Um, we, we hope you do as well. Uh, and in the comment section below, let us know what you, what you think about the movie, Becky, what you, uh, what, what you think some of the stuff might've, uh, what, what do you, what do you think the fucking key symbolized? Uh, what do you, what do you think the key symbolized? Uh, if you were had to choose something, right? I like the way they ended this movie in that like she still has the key and and there's a potential that they could make a part two of this movie to where we either find out like what the key represents or we see like her development into like this more of a badass uh, like vigilante. Um, I don't know. I, I think the key is like maybe it just represents like a society or a group of people. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's like money tied to it as well or, you know, I don't know. It, ha- it definitely had something to do with some like neo-Nazi shit, right? Maybe the keys to like uh, some gold Hitler left behind somewhere. Uh, but either way, I think the way this movie ended, it, it, it kind of left the door open to for a part two um, or like a continued story of this Becky character. Because she's only like at the end of it, you could tell like she 
enjoyed everything that she did. Like she was not remorseful or anything like that. So I think there's more story to be told there. Yeah. Uh, I, I was speculating in the moment that I don't think the key like is for anything. I think it, it may be more like, uh, like more, um, not necessarily symbolic, uh, but more, what was the word that I used? Uh, it was more, um, uh, what do you call something when somebody's just like nostalgic about something or like they, ah, fuck, I'm missing the word, whatever. I'm missing the word that I, I want to use, but, uh, it, it was more just, uh, for, you know, Kevin James and, and the rest of his crew. It was like something that was just symbolic to them. It didn't really like, I don't think it did anything, but of course that would be a weird thing to make like the centerpiece of why you go murdering but then again you're a neo-nazi so you know what logic yeah. is there really <laughs> but uh, i mean and that might be a good point like like if you're in jail for like uh, however long they were in jail let's say like eight years or whatever right like you can maybe start to um like uh uh create symbols out of things that don't really have much meaning, right? Like when you get out of jail, like I want to go get that coin that I hid between those two bricks in the basement of like the house that I grew up in, right? Like, and that coin doesn't really mean anything, but it's like, it means something to you and you'll go uh, as far as you need to go to get that thing back. Cause like you really have nothing else in your life that's meaningful to you. So, you know, that it could be that, like it could be just that the key meant something to him, um, and it, it didn't really mean anything else. Any, anybody, it didn't mean anything to anybody else. And this is how far he was going to go to get back that that one thing that meant something to him. Yeah, um, I'd like to think the key meant more than that. Though. <laughs> yeah, as, as viewers, we definitely want to believe that it was just more than that. Um, and it very well might have been. I, I, I try to look up some of the things. Like I try to look up anything about the key, and I couldn't find it. Uh, at least now, I'm sure in the coming weeks, I'm sure there'll be there'll be a lot of things out there that, uh, as far as like what the symbols symbolize, like he had the tattoo as well as it was the same symbol that was on the key. So I'm sure there's yeah. something that's going to pop up within the next couple weeks uh, as far as like what the actual key represented or what they were trying to drive at uh but uh but until then yeah like i said uh drop us a, a comment in the se uh, comment section below let us know what you think about the film um and uh yeah press play on the movie becky if you already haven't um all right uh with that being said uh ladies and gentlemen i think we are indeed going to get the fuck out of here uh it's been a long show been a long day we've been uh we've been at this for a while i'm hungry uh, i know right um Lunchtime? Oh, it's past yeah, lunchtime. it's way past lunchtime. Um, all right, not way past, but still. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, like always, if you listen to the entire podcast and you heard me choke on a fly, then uh, then you're definitely a fan of the podcast, uh, and uh, we appreciate that. But uh, display your uh, love for the podcast by hitting that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that share button, share the shit with anybody and everybody who you believe can. Uh, benefit from it which is of course everybody uh and uh we will be back next week uh we've got some big things planned as far as like you know some new directions we're going to take the show so stay tuned for for all that jazz um until the next time ladies and gentlemen i think we will go and hit the usual protocol if i can get my act together here and play the outro uh until the next time ladies and gentlemen fade out peace the fuck Ow!